Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 47 of Through the Years, the podcast that reviews Ring of Honor, show by show from the beginning. As always, I am Trevor Dame with my co-host, Matt Feuerstein, and because it's a Boston show due to the terms of a legal settlement that we can't talk about, Joe Gagne is contractually obligated to be here. So hi, Matt, and hi, Joe. I, I'll talk I'll talk about it. We... we um... No, I, I couldn't even think of a joke that was appropriate. Hi, Joe. How you doing? <laughs> I'm fine. I wish I'd gone for money instead of podcast appearances. <laughs> a possible mistake in hindsight. <laughs> yeah, well, none of us have any money anymore anyway. It's you, you know about the economy. so Except right, for ca- Canada, the economy is great, right? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> I think there was there's some little chain of stores that's been open for 100 years that just announced, I believe, today that they're going out of business forever because of COVID-19. So... <sighs> uh, yeah. Happy times. <laughs> so on that on that cheery note, but if you need something to, to uh, cheer you up, I was just going to say that uh, Joe, if podcasting podcast appearances were currency, Joe would be rich because you, as always, we we should mention you have Joe versus the World, one of the original wrestling podcasts, which only makes a brief appearance now and then for charity, but it's still got a big backlog on the CubsFan.com if people haven't listened to it. You've got the five-star match game, one of the only wrestling trivia podcasts out there. There were other, there are others now, but I believe you were the first, Joe, at least that I can remember. And of course, my memory is the only thing that matters. No, I completely ripped that off from uh, Brainbuster. Oh yeah, Brainbuster. <laughs> they stopped doing on... the show, and I was like, "Ooh, give me some of that." But now there oh, are yeah. others. But uh, I was around. I was just me for a while. But now there are others. You can. Oh yeah, and. That is ultra embarrassing because Brainbuster is on the Pro Wrestling Only Podcast Network, and which is also where we are on. So if you want to check out Brainbuster, that's a great podcast. I remember enjoying that now that I've had my memory jogged. Um, who's Next, the podcast about Goldberg that I just did four episodes of. All of those are up on in the feed now. Uh, there's a new podcast in the recent weeks, the International House of Combat. I see the latest episode reviewed 70s matches from Australia. So I don't think you're going to hear many podcasts covering that topic these days. So we've got a from podcast game shows that Joe Gagne ripped off to this show, to Australian wrestling matches, to Goldberg matches. Pro Wrestling Only podcast feed, we got you covered. You know, that that gives me an idea for a podcast. International House of Pancakes, where we actually, like, review uh, a new menu item from IHOP each week. I mean, IHOP will have to, like, come back, but, um, but you know, it sounds like a good idea to me. Yeah, I mean, uh, this for those who don't know, this week I uh, was in the emergency room with uh, Gallstone, so I, I don't know if me eating a lot of pancakes would be the... Uh, the greatest tack, but you know what? I'm willing to try. Oh, but I'm they but they have so many tack. different menu items. Eggs. That's probably it. Probably just pancakes and eggs. Um, but. I, I'm willing to be the Mick Foley except, uh, of this endeavor, except instead of taking crazy bumps, I'm just eating high-carbohydrate, high-sugar, high-fat menu items when I probably shouldn't be at this moment. Yeah, no, that's. I think that's true of a lot of us. How are you feeling, Trevor? Ever, the whole world wants to know. Uh, I'm good. Uh, I'm mostly good. I uh, I uh, am in learning about the worlds of expensive, foul-tasting supplements, and it, it's it's going well. It's going well. I'm fine. But, but can't they can't they give you those in like a tasteless pill? <laughs> Here's the weird 
thing. The pills have flavor to them, even though they're supposed to just be pills. I don't know if one pill leaked. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, who knew pills leaked? Uh, like a capsule. Yeah. Google Google Oxbile if you want to learn the world I am now entering, because uh, that's a thing in my future. Uh, so anyway, I think in everyone's future that is listening to this is the show we are covering today. But before that, we actually have a couple little quick pieces of news that happened between the last Ring of Honor show we covered, which was Testing the Limit, and the one we're covering tonight, which is Scramble Cage Melee. So I'll just go to them. They're both from the Ring of Honor Newswire. The first was from the August 16th, 2004 Ring of Honor Newswire, and they write on the website, Ring of Honor officials held a special meeting over the weekend that included a conference call with Brian Danielson and Austin Aries. It was decided that a third bout between the two will be held later in the year after the DVDs of their first two matches are released and in circulation. Everyone agreed that would be best for fans to be familiar with the first two classics before doing the third bout. Danielson is still slated to receive a shot at world champion Samoa Joe. Aries also started petitioning for a world title shot. So... I, I d- forgot about this or didn't know if I realized this. It's interesting that at least on the uh, they were teasing and basically kind of promising at this point that you were going to see another, a third Aries-Danielson match in 2004 in Ring of Honor, which, uh, spoiler, we never, we do not get in 2004. Right, they, 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 wrestle, they wrestle again in like middle of 2005. And again, late in 2005. They have lots of matches, just not in 2004. <laughs> Yeah, it's interesting that they were thinking about doing a trilogy, you know, especially since we're in the middle of the other the the big trilogy of 2004 that actually happened, which was Samoa Joe and CM Punk. That they were going to, they were basically thinking about doing a second trilogy at the same time. Which, although as we'll get into when we eventually cover the second and third matches in the Punk Joe trilogy, I don't think those matches were originally intended to be a trilogy. Things came up that forced their hand, but and then the other little piece of news, and this isn't huge, but it's just the little interesting sign of where we were in the timeline from the August 17th newswire. Nigel McGuinness is about to become a regular with ring of honor. McGuinness has been off and on shows for a year and has definitely impressed. Now ring of honor officials are going to give McGuinness the chance to break through as a top player. McGuinness has been added to the Phil, the October 2nd in Philly, October 15th in Dayton and October 16th in Chicago events. So yeah, that's something people have to remember. Like, McGinnis was in Ring of Honor a long, quite a while, you know, quite a few months before he got promoted to basically being the a regular. Which, you know, not everyone in Ring of Honor at this time was a regular. You know, you there were people that would get booked all the time, and there would be people where, well, when you're in the area, we're not going to fly you like lo- great distances. You, when you're in the area, we'll book you there. So it's a nice. It's always part of the fun of this year has been seeing the slow rise of Nigel McGinnis. Yeah, I would agree with that. I um, it's yeah, it's been about a year since McGinnis debuted in ROH, and yeah, he's he's very intermittent. But yeah, once you start looking at the next show, the um, the Glory by Honor show, where he gets a pretty big match, and then he has pretty noteworthy matches from then on mo- on most shows. Yeah, um, and that brings us to tonight's show. Scramble Cage Melee took place October twenty, I mean August twenty eighth. At the National Guard Armory in Braintree, Massachusetts, in front of a reporter crowd of 500 fans, one of those fans was Joe Gagne. And, uh, Joe, before I throw it to you for a second, I'll just go to the PW Torch. This was from, I believe, Sean Radikin's live report. He was also there. He wrote, The fans were much better than the last time ROH was in Boston back in May, as they seemed more knowledgeable about Ring of Honor and were into nearly every match. Now, 
I'll get into my opinion in a minute, but Joe, that's the one thing I heard about this show from reading, just reading that thing. The other thing I heard, and the announcers mentioned this multiple times, that this building was extremely hot. In fact, I think one live report from someone else said, I was sweating five minutes after I was in the building. How, do you remember, I mean, this was, this is a big ass, this is 16 years ago, but do you remember it being particularly hot on this night? I actually do. When I thought of this show, the first thing that I think about is how hot it was. It's one of those shows, you know, it's August, it's hot enough outside. You step into that building, it's like an additional wall of humidity. You enter, you're sweating immediately. So if the crowd, I thought the crowd, at least on, on tape, was quiet at times. I think it was due to the conditions, which were fairly harsh. Yeah, and I'll, I'll throw it to you too, man. Like, I thought the crowd, this was one, at, at a lot of points, uh, they had their moments, but I think at a lot of points, this was one of the more quiet crowds we've heard recently. And I, I think the heat really explains that I'm willing to give them a pass be, as the designated crowd police constable here. But uh, did you notice that, or, or do you, did you notice that it was quieter than normal, Matt? Um, for certain matches, I did. I, I did, didn't think it was any... I don't know if you remember the show we did on War of the Wire. That, to me, was like the worst as far as Boston ROH crowds in terms of quiet. Um, that was like really bad um, in terms of just like they didn't really react much to anything. This show had ups and downs as far as crowd reactions. I thought early in the show they were pretty hot, like for the opener and stuff. I thought one match in particular in the mid-card, I was shocked at how little they reacted, but I'll save that for when it happens. Yeah, I think I know the one that you're talking about, so this will be fun if I can... Yeah, we'll see if we we'll agree. We'll see if I guess it correctly. So, yeah, uh, but, um, but but for certain matches, they were um, they were reasonably okay. I, wouldn't, I, di- I didn't think of this show as having a particularly bad crowd. I guess I'd say that. It wasn't the worst I've heard, but I, I just thought it was interesting to read that report saying, that, you know, this was a better crowd. I, I don't know if it was, and again, probably because of the heat. I, I wouldn't call this a great crowd on this night. No, was, I would say it was about average. <laughs> yeah. yeah. and I mean, it's worth noting the star power was down a bit from previous shows. And I don't believe they took an intermission until right before. The to set up the cage, cage, yeah. To set up the uh, yeah. cage. So it's a lot to go through in very adverse conditions. That, that's a great point, too. That, yeah, to basically have almost the entire show except the final match with no intermission, so no chance to break. And especially that probably would have been appreciated with the building that hot, a chance to get outside for a minute, which the fans didn't have for most of the show. Uh, there's, there's, there are a lot of shows in the early period of ROH that are kind of famous for being like sweat boxes. Um, crowning a champion is the most famous one. Um, this. I don't think in all my time going to ROH I ever experienced a show where it was like oppressively hot i think like they they got better with that the only indie show i can really think of where the the heat was a real like controversial level problem was that um progress show in queens back in i guess it was 2018 um or maybe it was 2017 uh it's hard gosh it's hard to remember now but it was uh, a progress show that happened after it evolved show i don't know if you remember that there was a whole big thing over how how hot it was and I was yeah. sitting more like back in like the bleacher area, so it wasn't as bad. But that was the closest thing I could think of to resembling what you were talking about. I, I think I actually remember I like texted you during that show because there was that big controversy during yeah. the show where yeah. people were freaking out, talking about calling the fire department. I texted you, and you know you're just one man's opinion, but an opinion I trust. And you were like, I believe you were you were like, well, it's hot, but it's not like. Yeah, I didn't. For my life, hot. Yeah, I didn't. Yeah, I mean, I was just lucky, I guess, in where I was sitting. It was 2017, by the way. Yes, yeah, so I thought it was longer than 2018. But um, yeah, I, I I remember thinking like, yeah, I just I wouldn't have thought 
about it being so oppressive. But then I found out people were literally passing out. So I'm sure in different parts of the building, it was really, really bad when it were areas where people were really packed on top of each other. I was sitting a little bit back. Yeah, and I guess the other thing we should say is for those who do, who are unlucky enough to have never seen Matt Feuerstein, Matt's like a, a thin, healthy, relatively young man. <laughs> so I can imagine if you're a larger person, if you have prior medical conditions, maybe the heat would have gotten to you worse. So I, I guess I should just say that in the interest of fairness. Well, thank you for the for saying that I'm relatively young. Um, hopefully I'm healthy and um, I'll give you thin. <laughs> Yeah, I, I just I'm just saying you 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 probably could have hold out hold out against the heat better than more more than the than the median age. Yeah, um, no, def, definitely. There's a little bit of there's a little bit of thin privilege going on when I say like, oh yeah, it wasn't so bad. Like I I thought of that as soon as I, right after I texted you, I'm like, yeah, well maybe I'm not someone who would have to worry about this as much. Whereas certain people, you know, might be more at risk. Also, people with asthma, stuff like that. Um, you know, it's it's. Yeah, you you really want to make sure that the conditions at your shows are safe for people. Um, Joe, would you consider this place to be unsafe in terms of its heat? <laughs> no, it was just <laughs> it's just uncomfortable. Yeah, you know? like like most independent shows in summer are, it, it didn't yeah. cross a line into dangerous. It was just like yuck, I'm sweating. Yeah. And so before we finally run down the show, I guess we should talk about one of the big stories of the show, which is how many times and how much about the show got changed from what was originally promised because of a whole sorts of things. So we got three different quotes from the PW Torch where they kind of spell it out. So the first, and these all happen at different times, but the first one is Mark Briscoe was injured in a motorcycle accident last week and missed Saturday's event in Braintree, Massachusetts. So this was the week before the show and will miss at least one or two more events. This led to the Havana Pitbulls facing Izzy and Dixie of Special K for the Ring of Honor tag team titles instead of the Briscoes. Plus, Jimmy Rave then faced Angel Dust instead of Dixie in a special attraction match. Ring of Honor booker Gabe Sapolsky posted the following in the ringofhonorwrestling.com forum. I just heard from Jay a few minutes ago, he says. Here's the latest. Mark is really banged up and hasn't been able to get out of bed since the motorcycle accident. He is definitely out for 9-11, and I'm not even sure about October 2nd right now. The accident sounded really bad. He is basically sore all over and experiencing a lot of pain in his left foot, shoulder, and lower back. When I get more updates on him, I'll be sure to post them. So those are the first two matches right there changed. We don't get it was originally supposed to be a rematch between the Briscoes and the Rottweilers for the tag titles. That gets changed as you as I just read. Uh, because of that, it was originally supposed to be Jimmy Ray versus Dixie. That gets changed to Angel Dust. Um and yeah, we talked about this on the last show, Matt, but uh, the Briscoes do not come back. They were supposed to be booked for the next few shows, but by the time, I guess, this injury recovers, they decide to do other things with their life for a little while. So this, even though the last show was not supposed to be the swan song for the Briscoes for a while, because of this injury, I guess, it, it turned out to be that case. It's interesting that it, that it was inadvertent given like the whole craziness surrounding their last match and the whole riot and stuff. It almost was like a a pretty decent way to write them off. In fact, that view was supposed to continue because in doing research for this, I, I saw that the next show, Glory by Honor 3, Mark Briscoe was already booked for another match against Homicide. So they were going to continue that feud at least for a while until this motorcycle accident derailed everything. Yeah, but, they, they don't show up again until the fourth anniversary show in 2006. Yeah. So uh, 
Next thing from the torch from a different issue, or uh, Ring of Honor has announced that Brian Danielson has been forced to pull off the August 28th event in the Boston area due to Japan commitments. The new main event of on August 28th will be Samoa Joe and CM Punk versus the Rottweilers of Homicide and Low Key. So yes, the original main event for this show was supposed to be Brian Danielson versus Samoa Joe for the Ring of Honor World Title. And then because of those dastardly Japan commitments, it got changed to (laughs) a a dream partners match. Samoa Joe and CM Punk versus Homicide Loki. Except I think anyone that knows the show we're covering will go, well, wait, that didn't happen. So we'll go back to the torch again where they ended up having to write Loki is off the August 28th event in Boston as he has gone to do a tour with the Noah promotion in Japan. He may not return to Ring of Honor for a while based on some tension with management. Now, I have to think that's either the torch being worked or if that was a real tension, they got over it very quickly because Loki was not gone for a long time. I think he just happened to have recently at this time signed with Noah. So he probably it's tour. He can't say no to. You hadn't really gotten your scheduling down yet. So yeah, the main event on the show got changed from Danielson versus Joe for the world title to Joe and punk versus homicide and Loki to a three way Homicide versus Punk versus Joe. And yeah, so that's obviously that's, I would say that's too, I don't know. Like, Joe, do you remember how you felt about, because you were a guy that was going to every Boston show back then? Like, how do you feel when you hear the show is being changed from that tag match to this triple threat? Like, do you think on paper, is that an upgrade or a downgrade or kind of a sideways move? Because it's, it's kind of a, it's for me, it's almost hard to compare. Yeah, I think. I'd rather have seen the tag match because Loki would have been involved and he is tremendous. <laughs> and I would have liked to see that. And you know, the, the, the three way we'll get into in a bit. It's just, you know, they should say like, who's the icon. And it's like, <laughs> who cares? Like, you know, <laughs> like who could possibly, you know, what, what does that even mean? So yeah, this went from like, you know, this could have been an all timer show if it had Joe versus, uh, Danielson, especially especially if they had the match they ended up having, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I, I, the show would be a lot more fondly remembered than it than it probably is. <laughs> so even though on paper this card doesn't look maybe as great, but you have to remember, you know, th- this was basically their third attempt to cobble together like a main event match. Their original tag title match got canceled, so those are some pretty big matches to have to change on the fly. And that brings us to the show itself, where. We open outside in the parking lot with Sugar Sean Price welcoming us to Boston, the site of what he says could go down as one of the most dangerous Ring of Honor matches ever, Scramble Cage Melee. We see- yeah, now, actually, I want to ask, actually, for Joe, sorry, since this is they didn't name the show Scramble Cage Melee, were you excited for that? Like, was that something that people were like, oh, this is going to be awesome, or is this something that people were like, uh-oh, this is going to be fucked up? <laughs> I don't know if we really knew what to expect, like, uh a single person scramble cage, but I think people were excited for it. I thought there'll be some memorable things in it. People, you know, I, th- I think people were willing to give ring of honor the benefit of the doubt. And, uh, least- Oh, I just want to say, we should mention, uh, this was the show that was supposed to go up against the debut of H two wrestling, which went out of business before they ran a show, which was going to be court Bauer and Teddy Hart's uh, promotion had, the uh, out of Boston. It was going to be very strange, very bizarre. It's scheduled to run head to head. That's why we were going to get Danielson versus Joe as the main event. They tried to stack up the card, but uh, that show, uh, that promotion, never uh, came to exist. So we never got the alienist Alex Shelley. Sadly, 
Yeah, and that I uh, that we'll get into a bit more later. But in fact, I believe I have a source somewhere that says that's why they booked the scramble cage match to begin with. Because when you when we run it down later, there's not really a storyline for a company that usually like to have storyline reasons for all their major matches. There isn't really a huge storyline reason for that scramble cage match to happen. At that point, it doesn't end a major feud or anything like that. But it I it, I believe so, we'll have a source that says it's just because they thought they were going against H2 and they wanted to really put on like the absolute most enticing card they could. So it's like, let's bring out this huge, crazy gimmick match, even if there's not really a particular like natural reason for us to have it right now. But continuing on in that opening segment, we see that Sugar Sean Price is right beside a giant truck and a bunch of the crew are trying to take down big pieces of the cage walls off of it, the disassembled cage that hasn't been put together yet. Two of those crew members are, of course, Dunn and Marcos, and Price interrupts them to conduct an interview. Uh, Marcos says they're rocking like docking and they have no fear about tonight. Then both of them climb to the top of the truck as, as, as Sugar Sean Price tells them to get down, which for some reason made me chuckle. Um, that, 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 should have, that should have been Sugar Sean Price's gimmick. It's like, you be careful. <laughs> he should have been outside during yeah. the entire scramble cage. I just believe like every time someone climbs up, they're like, watch out. Get down from um, there. <laughs> he also so, called the match uh, outlandish, which I enjoyed greatly. And he was not wrong. Sugar Sean Price did something much funnier later on, which I will definitely get to. Um, I already told Trevor about a, it. This is a big show for Sugar Sean Price. Uh, all Dunn and Marcos do once they get to the top of the truck, though, is they finish their promo, which is like another two lines, and that's it. So just standard little promo to fill the show up. Uh, we cut to backstage where Prince Nana is with Jimmy Rave. Rave says that the trip he was on to Ghana was great, and now he has the Rave Clash. He's really honed it. He's doing great with it. Uh, Oman to T- Tortuga interrupts, and he wonders where Diablo is because they have to get ready for their match, which is the Scramble Cage match tonight. Nana says he sent him to finish up his bath, and I wrote in my notes, Nana is obsessed with baths, possible OCD suffer, because Nana, I believe, has mentioned baths. You know, it's, the, it's his one go-to line when he's talking to uh, the outcast killers. Here, there's one thing I loved about this promo at the beginning. Nana's like, Jimmy Rave, like, did you have a good time in Ghana? Did they rub you down in oils and soaps? And Jimmy Rave is just like, yes. <laughs> which i was like rave rave was still working on his charisma at this point <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, my favorite part was when uh they asked where uh, the other outcast killer where oman was and nana said he knows where he is <laughs> <laughs> well, i don't know if he wandered into the basement he may not know where he is and that, that's not really relevant to the question <laughs> so, uh... <laughs> yeah, um... yeah i guess he's i guess what he's trying to say is he did not get lost on the way here he knows exactly where he is he'll be fine so uh, Oman's frustrated by all of this, and Nana tells him he could care less if the if the outcast killers climbed to the top of the cage tonight and broke their necks. He says there's nothing compared to his champion, his winner, Jimmy Rave. Oman says, are you kidding me? And you can see he's really getting frustrated, standing up a little bit to uh, Nana. But he Nana quickly makes him regret that. He get he browbeats him, makes him get down on his knees, and he tells him if he ever talks back to Nana again, he'll make him go. He'll send him right back to the Ring of Honor ring crew. So, you know, the funny thing about Ring of Honor is even like the low guys on the totem pole would get you know little character development and backstage segments like this, which was always interesting. And now and, they get uh, to be in a main event. How exciting! Yeah. And that finally brings us to the opening match of the show. 
Austin, I mean, Alex Shelley, who was escorted to the ring this time by all three other members of Generation Next, Austin Aries, Jack Evans, and Roderick Strong, defeated Jay Lethal via pinfall in 12 minutes, 45 seconds, when he used a cradle while he held onto the tights. Uh, Matt, this is uh, on paper, you know, pretty interesting match. What do you think of it as the actual opener, though, for the show? It was definitely solid, and I thought the crowd was actually um, pretty hot for it. Um, you know, with all the talk about the crowd being bad, I thought for this match, they were pretty into it. They were excited for the show. Um, also, one of the first things that really jarred me here was, so the lighting for the backstage promos was bad as usual, like all washed out. But compared to recent shows, the lighting on the ring was like kind of not terrible and it was like weird to me i was like this this the colors look too correct like i don't don't know what's happening here i mean you know there were still the issues with the glare and stuff like that but i thought that um i thought that it was it looked pretty decent like confirm you know by the standards uh, that we're used to um nulty is of course back on commentary here um so we get some fun nulty stuff tonight not so much in this match although he does at one point call a move that Shelly does, a standing reverse figure four leg lock, um, which I think is a made-up thing, and I don't think that's how I would have described what he did, but it was um, it's pretty cool. You know, I, I um, it was mainly like um, Shelly was cutting Lethal off, kind of being a heel, doing his, um, you know, doing, uh, you know, working on his leg, basically, doing some sneaky stuff. Um, at one point, like, I, I really like that um, Shelly, like, lifted Lethal up by his legs so he's basically doing a handstand and then and dropped the leg down like, a couple times. And he almost flipped Lethal, like, com- like, lifted him and, like, flipped him completely over. Like, I thought, like, some of the legwork here was pretty good. Um, uh, when Lethal dropped uh, Shelly knee first on the ring apron because they were kind of both trading leg stuff, um, Nolte accidentally called the ring apron a turnbuckle twice like it's like okay everybody makes a mistake but he did it twice which i thought was pretty funny um i thought like the crowd they were behind lethal but they they didn't hesitate to applaud when shelly did something cool like they were they weren't like really on shelly's case too bad they were just mostly um they were rooting for lethal but they didn't really mind cheering for shelly i guess is what i would say i thought both guys looked pretty good there's a little bit of sloppiness here and there um but um, uh, the ending was um, – well, actually, I mean, I'll tell you one example of sloppiness. So, like, Lethal blocked um, – like, Lethal blocked a move um, when um, when Shelly locked in the figure four. And uh, and he tries to pick up Shelly, and they do, like, a reversal sequence. And they kind of botch it, and Shelly slips down and just grabs a leg, and Lethal uh, hits the ropes. And I thought the crowd definitely, like, sensed the botch and that sort of – He's hurt the finish a little bit, which was basically just Shelly reversing a dragon suplex and schoolballing, schoolboying him and holding the tights. Um, I like the story. I thought both guys, you know, they worked hard. The crowd was up for it, but there was a little bit of sloppiness, and I, um, I don't know. I didn't understand the point of the heel finish. Like, would it have really hurt Lethal to lose to Shelly just because his leg was beat up so badly? You know, like I don't know. I sometimes I think those like quick like grab the tights kind of stuff finishes undermine what they do in the match. Um, there's a lot of matches where I think of that. Um, like one match that comes to mind where I really hated it was a Kurt Angle against Chris Benoit at WrestleMania 17, where like they had Angle hold the ropes. And it was just like, after all that, why? And I thought something pretty similar for this. Like, why did they really need to do that just to like establish that Shelly's a heel? I don't know. But overall, I thought it was solid, I guess is the word I would use. It was a solid match. 
Joe, um, I'm going to ask you for your thoughts, but I, I think if I remember correctly, because if, for those who do a little bit of searching on the Cubsfan.com or just some Google searching, you can probably find Joe did a live report when uh, he from when he watched the show in the building at the time. And Joe, I believe from reading that report, was this the match that uh, you actually missed because you had some trouble getting to the show? Yeah, I came in about halfway through. So uh, I, I saw a good chunk of it. So this is your chance to now finally give a review to the public of this match. Finally, we can end the review 16 years later. Joe, what did you think of this match? Thank goodness. Uh, uh, I thought it was good, like Matt said. The crowd was like really excited to see Generation next because they had formed just after the last Boston show. So this was their first time around the loop and we'd already seen like the, you know, a good amount of the DVDs and whatnot. People were really excited for it. I thought this was a really well-worked logical match. I think it went a bit too long and it was a bit too one-sided. Like they talked about lethal trying to get a win over Shelly. It didn't seem like he was really getting close as he was, Shelly controlled a good chunk of the match. And, um, you know, it just, it was clear he was the better wrestler. It wasn't really, a blistering opener here. I think maybe, you know, if they had gone maybe a bit shorter, maybe exchange flash pins, something like that, it would have been a bit better. But the, you know, the story was good. The selling was good. Um, and the crowd was into it. So I thought, you know, a solid opener. Maybe, you know, could have, could have been a bit better, but, uh, but a good start. He agreed with me. Solid. We both said solid. So this is where we flip things because I actually like this match a fair bit more than both of you guys. I, I thought this was outright, like, pretty darn good. And, um, uh, Reading the reviews after I wrote my review in my for my own notes, I think a lot more people agree with you guys. I think some people are off put by for those who haven't seen this match, it is really Shelly controls a surprising amount of this match. But I actually appreciated that because watching so much Ring of Honor or even modern wrestling, it's usually super back and forth, just my move, your move, or if one guy dominates a lot of the match, it usually means they're um, losing the match and the other guy's letting them shine a lot because they know they're going to get the win. So I thought it was kind of refreshing that the guy that one guy controlled most of this match and he actually got to be the guy that won. It's something you don't see that often outside of like squashes in this era of wrestling. And I really just liked Alex Shelley's, uh, I thought this match had a hot back and forth minute or two open. And then, after that, it's it's just mostly Shelly legwork with an occasional lethal comeback. When I thought Shelly's legwork was really good, I thought he did some submissions, but he also just did a lot of, like you said, Matt, like the uh, knee breaker on the ring apron before everyone was doing ring apron spots all the time, just dropping, finding ways to drop uh, lethal knees first on the canvas. He does like a huge double leg stomp to kind of like a crouching, but not laying down Jay lethal, like to the back of his leg that looked really painful. I just thought he had a lot of really good looking leg offense. And I liked that when, uh, lethal, when he, he rarely got control, but when he did, it was usually like a big move. Like one time he makes a comeback and he hits the dragon suplex, which is his finisher. Or another time he finally gets control and he hits a really great like top rope diving headbutt where I always love on the diving headbutts or any flying move when the hard cam is set just right where the guy like disappears into out of the top of the frame and then like falls back into frame. I, I always think that's just the coolest thing and that you, de- you get a great example of that here. Um... Shelly blew snot on Jay Lethal, which was something that would not fly in modern wrestling today because of the pandemic. Uh, <laughs> it's also interesting in watching the show. You get a lot of the uh, 
there's a lot of reference to what uh, Alex Shelley is doing in impact or TNA at this time. Like right now you get another one of those baby bear chants. Every, every, every show they've chanted baby bear at him and wrestlers have referred to it. It's a real sore spot for Alex Shelley. (laughs) Um, uh, There also was a great spot where Shelley does a clothesline where he, he's doing it. So lethal's head hits his knee on the way down. It's just a really cool spot. But so overall, you know, this is not like can't miss, got to go out of your way to see. But I think I just enjoyed it a bit more than you guys just because it was different from so much of what we're seeing. And I even didn't mind. At first, the finish disappointed me. And I I understand what you're saying, Matt. I kind of agree with it. But at the same time, I did think it kind of worked as the heel thing of Shelly works on the uh, leg the whole match. And he can't beat this guy, so finally he's just like, when Lethal's finally starting to get control again, he's like, screw it, I'm just going to cheat. And, you know, that's kind of a typical, you know, we've seen that a million times, but for some reason, I ended up being I ended up being okay with him, kind of liking it. And I guess the other, only other thing I have to say about the match is, I agree with you, Matt, about the lighting. This is the best lighting we've seen in a few shows, even though there's still the glare from some of the lighting angles. I think the way I described it to you is, I think we have lighting Stockholm syndrome now from all these ring of honor shows where we're like, Hey, this is watchable. This is, this is weird. Like it's, it's not painful to watch. The color scheme is the same between the hard camera and the handheld cameras. Like it's, it's sometimes I worry about stuff like that, where when you get so used to something not great that you start over appreciating something that's just okay. But uh, that's where we're at with the lighting, I believe. I'm I'm hoping that we'll never have another show to review where like certain parts of the area are just pitch black and you can't even see what's <laughs> happening. Like it's been a while since we've had one of those. Survival yeah, of the fittest, I think, was the last one. Backstage segments where you literally can't see people. Like just yeah, there, there's been there's been some humdingers in 2003 Ring of Honor or 2004 Ring of Honor and in 2003 Ring of Honor. So. At this point, we go backstage where the Carnage crew are shaking a cage wall. Everyone's getting to play with the cage wall before it's set up. Uh, that, it, see, see, like that—that's something that WWE doesn't realize that they like should never have gotten rid of. If there's going to be a cage match on a show, let wrestlers do a promo where they get to shake the cage wall. That's like what—that's what we're paying to see here, really. Exactly. I mean, I'm not paying for the matches. When I bought this DVD, I was just like, like I better see some cage wall shaking. And, exactly. Uh, so the Carnage crew say, you can't have a scramble cage match without the Carnage crew. They say no one knows more about these matches than them. Uh, Loke brings up a stipulation for this match, which is that the winner of the match is going to get ten times their usual pay. And he says they're willing to die to get that payday. Uh, Loke says, <laughs> so no that, mean, that, means they, that means some of these wrestlers might make upwards of $250. Uh, that, I was going to say that's a joke from uh, – that's a joke I believe, uh, Joe, you made in your report at the time. You said, wow, so whoever wins this is going to get $250. Wow, we made the same – I did not read it. Oh, I swear, I'm Joe. We, I just have the same sense – I just have the oh, same sense – I just have the same sense of humor that you had 15 years ago. Here, stealing my jokes. Well, have, you stole the game show, so it's karma. Uh, uh, I, I asked permission. No. <laughs> so – Loke says no one, uh, no one else in this match is willing to die like them. Devito says it's about the money, it's about kicking everyone's ass. So it's it's a standard Carnage Crew promo, but I thought it was you know it was good energy and I, I it was enjoyable for what it was. I don't know if you guys have anything else to say about it. Um, yeah, I mean I like their promos generally speaking. 
I think that they're pretty good. Um, so yeah, that's it. I just yeah. I, I I liked that I made the same joke that Joe Gagne made 20, 15 years ago. So that's that's pretty much it. Right down to the dollar amount. You could have gone five hundred. You could have gone two hundred. You could have said. Um, you could have said uh, 120 chicken wings. You could have gone a bunch of directions. You went exactly $250. Like it is a coincidence. I like I like that Devito at the end yelled, "It's about it's about the money and it's about kicking everybody's ass." That should be somebody's catchphrase. <laughs> um, Jimmy Rave up next was Jimmy Rave, who was escorted to the ring by the embassy of. Diablo Santiago, Oman or Tortuga. So Oman managed to find Diablo and Prince Nana. He and he defeated Angel Dust, who was scored to the ring by Cheech and Cloudy via pinfall in 10 minutes, 49 seconds after he hit the Rave Clash, a.k.a. the Styles Clash. Uh, Joe, what do you think about this match? This is one of the first real kind of full heel Jimmy Rave matches, I feel, where he's really into the character at this point. Yeah, weird to see a rave entrance without toilet paper, but that would just seem very wasteful and strange in uh, 2020. <laughs> I thought uh, I thought the work was largely fine. Again, a bit long at 11 minutes, considering Rave is getting a, a push as you know a big guy and and special case on a losing streak. There was a point in the match where um, Angel Dust completely whiffed on a springboard blockbuster, but Rave didn't miss a beat. He just went over and started kicking him. So that was kind of nice to see. Uh, at the end, Nana gets on the mic and kind of. Helps Rave Hulk up, I guess, in a way to uh, encourage him. All the treasures he will receive if he wins, and uh, he goes on to do so. I thought the last, the closing stretch of this match was actually really solid there. The reversals before the Rave Clash, and um, just a, a weird thing I kind of found. Apparently, the whole Rave Clash thing sprung from uh, Teddy Hart when he was in Ring of Honor. It was kind of an inside joke, apparently, because he complained that AJ Styles asked him to stop doing the uh, the Styles Clash, even though I guess, I don't know if Hart had done it first or whatnot. So that's just something I read. I have no idea if it's true. It sounds funny, so I, I figured I'd say it. But this was uh, another okay-ish match. That's really interesting. And also, I, I don't have a hard time believing that because I know in, like, shoot interviews and things I've seen with the top Ring of Honor wrestlers, they've talked about how in the locker room in this era, they tried to, to tell guys like on the undercard, you know, like so-and-so uses this as their finish, so I wouldn't use it. Like I think, for example, I believe when El Generico first came to Ring of Honor, I think they like told him or some of the wrestlers like, hey, just in case you hadn't noticed, Austin Aries does the brain buster as one of his signature moves, so, you know, maybe don't do that or so so I can believe that someone said, like, hey, you know, AJ Styles is a top star here. Maybe don't do the Styles Clash. And I can see them wanting to rub it in Teddy's face now. So uh, I like this match. Uh, uh, I thought this was another good match. I thought it was kind of the opposite of the last match. I thought uh, that match, you know, this was a, a back and forth, your move, my move mat, match. And it is a little weird, like Joe said, where... Um, Jimmy Rave is starting a push. Angel Dust is pretty low on the ROH pecking order, but they're doing like a 50-50 match in some respects. You know, when they're they're talking about, the commentators are talking about during pretty much every Special K match at this point, how Special K is getting serious. Um, I, uh, there, it was definitely sloppy, but I thought the moves were pretty inter- good. I thought uh, Angel Dust's kicks were really good. Like his kicks were more impressive than his flying. I thought there's one sequence later in the match where he just hauls off and really kicks Jay. I mean, J- Rave hard. Uh, I thought he he does a big electric chair driver that actually gets the crowd to buy into a near ball near fall. It gets like a surprisingly uh, big pop. 
And I also like the way the finish worked where Rave looks like he's going to lose. Nana gets on the mic at ringside and starts encouraging him like he has before. And so that distracts Angel Dust. And then Jimmy Rave goes to put him in the Rave Clash. But instead, Angel Dust rolls through. Rave rolls through that, hits his running knee, and then he hits the Rave Clash. I like that little fake out because usually when someone is distracted, you think, okay, the very next move is going to be the finish. But they faked you out just for a couple moves to get that one extra little thrill so yeah i thought this was just and i also just liked in this match jimmy rave i thought was starting to show a little bit more personality like at one point he had a move and he pointed to someone in the crowd and said that's for you you know he was being cocky and staring out at the crowd between moves a bit you know he's still not a fountain of charisma but he's gone from having no charisma as a baby face in 2003 to having some charisma at least a bit here already in 2004 which is a complete improvement. So Matt, uh, I have a feeling you're not going to like the match as much as I did. Yeah. I mean, um, I do agree that rave, you know, you see Rave's slow improvement as a character already. I also like at the end of the match, Nana debuts the Jimmy rave comment. But, um, one thing that distracted me in this match was the commentary in the sense of they were pushing things that I wasn't seeing. So like the storyline here, one of the storylines anyway was, you know, Special K had been on a losing streak and now they're being serious, like you said. So Angel Dust basically was impressive to people. He was like, wow, we're really seeing a new Angel Dust here. And in my opinion, the way the match was worked, you don't really see that until the last few minutes when Angel Dust, you know, hits a big flurry of moves, right? There's the spring ball, springboard double stomp, lots of knees and kicks, right? A couple of near falls, the running electric chair, all that stuff. But uh, it seemed to me that, like, Gabe told Nolte before the match, okay, we really got to put over that Angel Dust is really showing something here. So I thought that Nolte was doing it way too soon. Like, he was like, wow, Angel Dust is really putting in a great performance. And I thought that he was mostly getting, you know, beaten up and not really doing much. Like, he has it, like, they were talking about how focused and intense he was. But I thought that he wasn't, it just, I don't know, I just wasn't noticing it. You know, and then finally near the end, I noticed it. And, it, you know, he did do, it was a good final sequence. But I, I thought that they, they oversold it or they sold it too early. Um, some other stuff is um, uh, at the beginning of the match, they showed the contender's ring. Um, was this the first time they put the contender's ring on the screen? It was Aries, Danielson, Walters, Shelley, and Jay Briscoe. Had they had they put that on the last show? I don't remember seeing it. I, I don't remember. Honestly, my brain, whenever the top five or the contender's ring now comes up, my mind quickly just glazes over. I, 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 yeah, it mostly it mostly means nothing. Um on, you know, as much to their chagrin. Um, but um, the other thing was, I don't know, like they noted the whole, um, on commentary here, the situation with the riot on the last show. They were talking about how, um, you know, they, they had the choice of being fined or suspended. And so the Gabe said that Homicide and Smoke showed up with, quote, cash money and paid their fines. Loki refused to pay the fine and took the suspension. And the Briscoes couldn't afford to pay the fine, so they're suspended. And Samoa Joe play, paid the fine. So there's a whole class struggle going on here or something. Joe, Joe, is, Joe is just, you know, he's got the money. Um, Homicide and Smokes had to, you know, they got cash. So I assume that means that Samoa Joe paid with a check? Um, I don't know. But... Um, you know the, the match itself. I mean, it was it was it was decent. I, I thought it was, I don't know, sim- similar quality to the previous match, but different. Maybe a little. I liked it less than the previous match, um, but 
it wasn't bad. You know, Nolte got in a couple of good comments. Um, usually I don't like his jokes, but when he said, there's something an angel does size I haven't seen for a while, number one, pupils. Number two, intensity. <laughs> that I th- was one of, I think, the best lines he's had in his entire run so far. I thought that was a genuinely clever and funny line. Yeah, it was, it was definitely funny. Um, you know, they, like, it's funny to see as if you, as you watch like ROH shows repeatedly, you get, you see that, um, like the, the, these guys, as they're learning to be heels, they go back to a lot of stuff, like even low key, like eye pokes, homicide does it too. And so that's what Rave was doing a lot here, like doing little eye pokes. And it's like, this is the ROH sign of a heel is that you poke someone in the eye a lot. Um, you don't really see that in WWE quite so often, right? The eye pokes and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but in ROH in 2004, a lot of eye pokes. Um, I also liked that Rave at one point went for a jumping knee in the corner and Gabe called it a climbing shining wizard. And it was like, <laughs> not every knee is a shining wizard. It's a very specific move. But Gabe has still, at, this po- at that point, not figured it out. I assume he has then. So at one point, uh, Gabe was like raving about, quote unquote, raving about Rave's treatment in Nana's palace. So Nolte says, this is Ring of Honor, not Cinemax. And I wonder, like, if someone was like 20 years old now watching the show, would they even like understand that illusion? Like, does Cinemax still have that reputation of being softcore porn? Yeah, I, I don't know. Like, here's the thing. I'm a I'm a Canadian. I I we never had Cinemax. Even I knew about you know what the kids would call Skinemax. The idea yeah. that late at night they would show softcore porn. But yeah, that seems so quaint to me because even if Cinemax still did that. I think today's like fourteen year olds would go. I have the internet. Like, yeah, I don't need to see cleavage. I can I, I can see whatever I want right now. Yes, it is a uh, it's true. <laughs> they can. Um, but um, yeah, I thought you know I thought the match was was solid you know like rave like you know got to the point where he was being overconfident so angel dust then finally near the end took took the opportunity to um to get in you know some big moves but in the end rave hit the knee won the match so i don't know i i just i just thought the commentary was distracting um but i thought i thought that it was it was a fine match and i thought one thing that i really took away from this match is the jimmy rave act like you could tell right here that it was going to work like they, 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 even though Rave himself hadn't come into his own yet, the act had something to it. You know what I mean? That mix of Nana and Rave and the way Nana sold him and, and the way the crowd reacted. You could just tell they were onto something. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think Nana, it, it was the perfect, absolute perfect pairing for him. It would just, you, you know, even if he hadn't like got started getting a little more charisma, I think Nana just showed, has so much charisma. He almost could just fill that void by himself at ringside you know he's that over the top and entertaining um yeah i was going to mention too like you said the uh the commentary where they explain how everyone's either paid the fine or except loki refused or the briscoes who couldn't afford i thought it'd be funny matt maybe they should just leaned into it and and then said for like the next two years that the briscoes were still trying to earn money to pay their fine like (laughs) just like it's rough you know you know how hard it is in today's economy to put away money but you know they're they're up to 155 dollars they're putting (laughs) a little aside and then eventually when they're returned instead of that really cool squash match it's just them a segment of them coming up to a door and like handing each Gabe like $500 each and it's like we finally did it and they have long beards at that point in their careers because they can't avoid razors because Dollar Shave Club hasn't been invented (laughs) 
Anyway, <laughs> is that is it? Wait, are they our new sponsor? <laughs> no, no sponsors. Uh, that'd be a great plug. But uh, Joe, Joe, we should get some of the sponsors you had on that last oh. um, on that last oh. five star match game that we were on together. You know how long it takes to see a doctor? Uh, Trevor, you just went to the doctor in Canada, but you know how long it takes in the United States? Twenty nine uh, days. I'll just do the whole spiel, then the Lucho has to send me a uh, check anyway. So yeah, that's right. Do we get? Do we get some too? <laughs> no. Damn uh. it, Joe. Um, the only other thing I noticed during this match was you know what's funny about you. Funny about those is that do wrestling fans really need to get? You know what I mean? Like they have no use for it. What you know what I'm saying? <laughs> Well, they, I remember they advertised it on the Major Wrestling Figure Podcast, which is, as the name indicates, a show about wrestling toys. It's like, whoever sold that ad is like, deserves an award. That's some yeah. Draper level stuff right there. Yeah, yeah. I want to give props to uh, Manscaping, who is apparently still advertising 70% on all pod, doing the 70% of advertising of podcasts right now that I listen to because. Who in the right mind it right now in 2020 is is like keeping groom down there? Like I don't even know in the best of times. Like are are people? I'm sorry. Like this is going to be such hat comedian like material, but like are people's groins that hairy? Like is is, is this a problem? Is this a problem I never knew about? Because all these ads act like this is like a life or death issue that needed specialized equipment. Like. Well, I, you know, I guess, you know, there is a thing. Some people might just have partners that they live with that prefer it. Yeah, but, even, <laughs> like, I, I don't know. I've never been looking down there and going, I need a new invention for this. I, I can't do this based on what the materials I have around here. This is too dangerous, too complicated. I, I've never... <laughs> you know, you know, I've been working on trying to get them as a sponsor, and you just blew it all right there. Um, no, but you know what's – so you're telling me that you have discovered that some companies sell products that are not really necessary, and they use funny advertising techniques to do it? Is that what you're telling Matt, me? Matt, this is the first. This is the first <laughs> I've experienced. Everything I've bought in my life completely paid off. This is the only one. Uh, I, I have some doubts about ordering it, but uh, – Blue Chew, you're all, Blue Chew, you're all in on though, right? Oh, I chewed it before the show. Like, uh, <laughs> give me gallstones. I'm like Chris Benoit. I'm like Chris Benoit with the steroids, where even when he was hurt for a year, he refused to get off steroids. Even when I'm not having sex, which is 99.9 percent of the time, I am chewing these things just in case. <laughs> well, you know that um, point. That point one, you never know when it's coming. Yeah, definitely. Boy, I thought. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I'd rather hear you compare yourself to Chris Benoit than uh, go back to your thoughts on <laughs> Anyway, we have just we have just done anti advertisements. Yeah, <laughs> we owe we're, them money. Yeah, we're like balancing the scales right now. Yeah. Um, so I, uh, this is a weird transition, but uh, did you guys notice Bobby Cruz was ring announcing this show? Uh, I just I was like, hey, oh yeah, this is another early show that he's ring announcing and not Stephen DeAngelis. So that was just a little thing I noticed here when I wasn't thinking about manscaping. But uh, <laughs> moving on to uh, a Steel defeated Roderick Strong, who was still escorted to the ring by Alex Shelley. Austin Aries and Jack Evans, and he beat him via submission in nine minutes thirty-seven seconds when he made Strong submit to an armbar. Um, 
I thought this match was average. I thought it was a little disappointing. It, it kind of went at a slower pace than most Ring of Honor matches, which I don't always hate a slower pace, but they didn't really go anywhere with the slower pace. They they each picked a body part on the, of the other guy and worked over a bit. There was a fair bit of clubber in here. There was, a, you know, some slaps to the face, some of those hard Roderick Strong chops. Uh, Roddy threw a few headbutts, which I thought was cool, but it just... There wasn't a ton to this. The crowd wasn't really up for this match because I don't think they were giving them a ton to get super excited about it. And it was blistering hot. I thought the end was a little bit ugly where Ace does basically, he lifts Roderick up in a gut wrench and then basically kind of drops into the mat like a bag of shit and just grabs his arm out of it. And it felt like a little bit out of nowhere and a bit of a weird finish, but it was not bad. Like it wasn't, boring it just it wasn't super entertaining i think i was expecting a, i wasn't expecting an amazing match i was expecting better than what i got but matt before i throw it to you um i think the thing that the thing i remember most from this match is we just got on mark nolte for doing this on one of the most recent ring of honor shows he does it again matt during this match Gabe says again, does anyone chop harder than Roderick Strong? And yet again, Mark Nolte just immediately says Samoa Joe. And this time you can hear Gabe kind of get slightly annoyed. He goes, it's a rhetorical question. (laughs) It's a a rhetorical question, Mark. Like You don't fucking have to answer with this. Also, while we're talking about Mark Nolte, uh, Ace does a tiger driver at one point, and Mark Nolte calls it a butterfly of the arms into a powerbomb, which I technically, I guess, is what a tiger driver is. It's literally, that's what it is, yes. But it's weird to hear, like, you know, Mark Nolte's designated role was to be, like, wrestling historian, color commentator, and the idea that he took a very, pretty well-known move by this point, and he (laughs) gave it the most technical, complicated stiff you know terminology of it rather than just say a tiger driver or even if you're just a wwf fan a a pearl river plunge even you could have said yeah uh matt what do you think about the match another another nulty trope that's coming up is him talking about all the crazy women stuff that he does because he because um at one point um strong taunted ace and ace fired up and they go toe-to-toe with chops and forearms and then slaps and ace wins the slap fight and Gabe goes, you ever been slapped like that, Mark Nolte? And Mark goes, not by a man. And uh, and Gabe goes, I'm not going to touch that one. So it's like, so Nolte is always referring to all these like crazy women that he's dealt with and stuff. I just, I don't know. Is, is Nolte, was Nolte that guy? Was Nolte the guy who had all the, the, the whirlwind relationships with, with, uh, with all sorts of drama and stuff? I guess he was. I, I don't know. Like later on the show, he does something like, I forget. I think it might be in the main event where they. Ne- he says. He says never, never tell a woman where you live. He says that. Like, oh, I, I just wanted to like reach into the TV and, and tell him like, like what happened to you? Yeah, I know. But. Uh, but yeah. So yeah, the, yeah, so so the match. Cool. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So um, I thought it was solid. I agree with you. It's like. Abrupt, abrupt ending and mostly disappointing. Like I, you know, I, I, I expect a lot from Roderick Strong even at this point, 
And this wasn't his best effort. It wasn't bad at all. I was surprised that he tapped. Like I thought, I did not expect Generation Next to lose to Ace Steel. So it shows that they were, you know, taking Ace Steel kind of seriously. Did you notice that on commentary they said that this was the first time Ace had ever been to New England? Like, and the way the way it made it sound, it wasn't just the first time he ever wrestled there, but the first time he'd ever been there. Period. So I thought, wow, good thing he went in the summer and not the winter, right? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that was interesting too because you would think Ace is kind of a you know by the standards of the time like an indie veteran. So the idea that yeah. not not just Boston, but never worked in New England, never been to New England, like you said, they they kind of made it sound like it was that strict. Like you'd go, wow, that's kind of that's pretty amazing, actually. Yeah, I um I, I say for for a large part of the match, Strong was taken over. He was chopping. Um, there was one unusual spot where Ace picked up Strong for a slam, but like fell on his back for a two count. And like usually that only happens when you pick up like a big guy. Like it's like when Hulk Hogan would pick up like Earthquake and he would fall on his back. But it was Ace Steel and Roderick Strong. So you don't expect that spot in that kind of match. But I guess he was just like selling his back and stuff. Um, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, I was just going to say, yeah, Strong Strong worked over the back, but I think that goes to kind of a, one of my issues with the match, which is while they were both working over each other's body part, like, they didn't do enough work or enough interesting work to really justify stuff like that. Like, like even the arm bar at the finish, I was kind of like, that's it? But even though technically he was working over Strong's arm, I just didn't feel like the work really made me, like, was enough to really get me to go, well, that was a satisfying finish. It was like just, oh, you hit each other for a while and... There you go. Right, because usually you see a match like they take way more punishment on a body part than that, and they don't tap out. Yeah. So it's like it just there's no it doesn't didn't follow the internal logic, but the work itself was fine. Um, the crowd was like eh on this one, like they weren't totally into it. I you know I would say they were much less into this match than they were the Shelley match. So it wasn't just that Generation Next was over, but like Shelley in particular is the most over, which makes sense, obviously. They push him the most. He has mic time and stuff like that. Um, and the TNA exposure at this point. Too, yeah, ex- so. exactly. So um, this was the first match where I could really be like, oh, yeah, this crowd isn't isn't that great. But also the match was not that great. It was it had some good action. Like, I, I wouldn't say it was bad, but I don't think it really, like you said, I don't think it built to the finish that it gave us. Joe, how about your thoughts? Uh, not to pile on poor Mark Nolte, but he made a comment about not having a match of the year vote during this match, which I thought <laughs> I was, I was like, Mark, you can have an opinion. <laughs> like, that's okay. He's yeah. he, like Jimmy Bauer does, but not, uh, he's like, oh, I don't have a match of the year vote like you do. And I was like, everyone can, can have one. Yeah. Nobody, nobody's voting. <laughs> yeah. The only thing I can think of is, do you guys think he was referring to the wrestling observer? Because I was thinking if that's the case, I would, I would be surprised if Mark Nolte didn't have an award of an, a, a vote in the wrestling observer. Award. No, well in the wrestling observer like award, just... in, in the wrestling observer awards, anyone can, any subscriber can vote. It's the well, hall. Yeah, it's the hall of fame that, yeah, that, that you have to be given a vote. Yeah. yeah. Again, I bet you Mark Nolte had a vote in that. So in the hall of fame he definitely did yeah <laughs> yeah so yeah it, it, yeah yeah i noticed that too joe that that was definitely weird like and ring of honor to my knowledge didn't have an official match of the year award they gave out even <laughs> i guess no one like i said no one voted no no it's um, it's us we're the ones who who, who oh, vote yeah, on the match yeah. of the year yeah uh i this match did have a, a decent decent bit of hard hittingness because it, it was a grudge match i appreciated that um <laughs> Yeah, you could tell how hot it was because uh, Roderick, who even at this time I think had a bit of a rep as a cardio machine, he was just drenched in sweat throughout most of the match. And 
Yeah, I thought like the finish was odd, as you said. Like Roddy worked over his arm got worked over earlier, but he never really showed any lingering effects of that. So the the Bizarro slam into a tap out was just kind of strange. And you know, another solid if unspectacular match. Probably the the le- the least thing of the show so far, but not not awful. Yeah, They've read the code of honor during this match, so that should tell you there's some free time for it. Um, so after the match, Generation Next runs in and they put the boots to steal, but Colt Cabana quickly runs in and he cleans house. Uh, Ace recovers a bit and he takes Jack Evans out on the outside. And at this point, you can see Evans' arm is now just streaming with blood, which I presume they they never tell us what happened, but I presume what this means is Ring of Honor's infamous sheet metal guardrails that we've talked about before um, have struck, claimed another victim because whenever I, you see a, a wrestler at this era of Ring of Honor get like a weird cut, like Samoa Joe in this year, we, we talked about had a really bad cut on his hand. It's these, the we've mentioned it before, but these Ring of Honor guardrail signs they had put in around this time were sheet metal. And I guess no one filed the edges down. So they were notorious for guys who would grab them the wrong way or not think what they were doing and just slice, you know, hands and I this case arms deep without knowing. So I, I, without having that actually told to me, this was obviously not an intentional cut. So I would be shot and it was like on his arm near his elbow, which would, you know, be a weird place to blade. So I assume he just during a brawl, his arm landed on it and sliced it open. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know any more than you do, but like, I'm gonna go further. He, that's definitely what happened. Like, when else do you? When else, what other wrestling promotion does that kind of thing happen so often? It's obviously the guardrails. Yeah. So, <laughs> another victim for I, I, if I, you know, we used to do the uh, man on woman violence count. If I had known this, I would have kept account of how many wrestlers in Ring of Honor have been seriously cut on those guardrail sets. Because we've got to be up to three or four already at this point. Yep. Um, so Colt then gets on the mic. And he says, later tonight, it's him versus Austin Aries, but he's feeling froggy and is ready to jump. So he says that they can do their match right now. Colt wants to get it on like Donkey Kong, Cheech and Chong, and one more thing I couldn't make it on the mic, which really pissed me off. And then the crowd wants to see it right now. Aries accepts. And so that brings us right to Austin Aries, who was still at ringside. Alex Shelley and Roderick Strong were still at ringside. Jack Evans went to the back because of the cut. And Aries defeats Colt Cabana in 16 minutes, 10 seconds, when he makes Colt pass out in the rings of Saturn. Um, Matt, this uh, we said earlier, there was one match you were shocked at how quiet it is. This is where I'm going to place my chips right now. Matt, was this the match where you were shocked at how quiet the crowd was? Indeed it was. Yes, good call. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like because uh, because Colt was like going full on silly Colt at the beginning of the match, right? Like he was like he went for a handshake with Aries and Aries refused, so Colt instead shook the hand of a guy at ringside. I like that. You know, he put on his goggles, which you know we found out through from um, from Jeff Schwartz of uh, an honorable mention that this was because he had just had LASIK, but. It was like he did it like, you know, in a comedic way, you know, it's like, well, I got to put on my goggles. And, you know, he was doing a lot of the messing with Aries um, and the crowd was just having none of it. Like I've never seen like I've never seen the crowd not get into Colt Cabana's shtick and they did not like they just did not care about the shtick. Does this something that does, is this something that you recall at all, Joe? Or is, I mean, was this just too minor of a thing to remember 16 years later? <laughs> Probably too minor of a thing, but this yeah. was the fourth straight decent singles match we've seen in a row 
Yeah. Um, the heat was probably just settling in for people. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure that's what happened. Um, you know, like, they, but, he, but he was, like, trying really hard. Like, there was something where, like, he put something in the referee's hand and then, and then, like, and then has the ref throw it at Aries, I guess, or, like, a piece of paper or something. Like, he's just doing, like, he's just trying really hard to get the crowd to laugh. And they are just not. Um, as far as the match itself, had Colt been to the UK yet? Because I feel like he was starting to do some of his like Britishy style stuff here, which he I hadn't really noticed too much before this, and I thought that he had gone to the UK right after this. I'm not sure. This I I noticed kind of something similar where I felt like, and I don't know if you agree or disagree, but this was one of the first. I think we might have seen one other match where he was like this, but it felt like. Early on in Ring of Honor, he would either be comedy match cult or like serious indie wrestler cult. But this was like I felt like one of the early matches where he was kind of integrating the comedy into the wrestling, like more of a cohesive character. Where like a lot of the early stuff, I think the announcers were playing like he's playing mind games and he's fooling Aries and he's getting him off his game. And I felt like the way he worked, it actually kind of worked that way. Like you could accept, oh, it's not just comedy for comedy. Like Colts pissing Aries off, right. tricking him into things. Which is more of, yeah, the, what I would say also that kind of British kind of trickster style, which I, again, I don't think he had been to Britain. I'm not sure. No, I feel like this, I feel like this upcoming, I feel like this upcoming hiatus that he has in the fall is when he's in England. Like, I think that's like when, like, that, that happens. Yeah. Yeah. Um, as far as the match itself, like, once it gets going, you know, once, when Colt's in control at the beginning, I feel like the intensity is kind of low. But then Ares takes over and he like he divorced courts the arm and he starts doing a lot of mat work. You know, he does different variations of a hammerlock going over um Colt's shoulder. Um like um uh at one point Shelly and Strong hold Colt for an Ares dive, but and Ares like puts on shades um for some reason, and then Cabana moves and Ares dives into his own partners. And that's when they take over on the floor, and you pointed this out to me. Um so first um, Colt is like chopping uh, Ares against the post, and like he does it a few times. And then, uh, so very predictably, the last time Ares moves, so Colt chops the post, and that's when Ares drives Colt's head into the ring post. And and you pointed this out on on Twitter actually. Colt is actually saying, "My eye, my eye!" Like tell, like like legit shoot, telling Ares, "Don't do yeah. this because it might." I have you know sensitive eyes right now, and Ares, I guess, didn't hear him and like did it did it again. Um, yeah. Luckily, this was not Nigel McGuinness style heading to the ring post, um, so that's good at least. So his eyes are still intact, as far as I know, many years later, so that's good. But Colt does bleed from the head, and Gabe notes it's the first time he's ever been busted open before in his whole career. And I feel like, I don't know, I feel like it's, I felt bad that Colt, if this was really his first blade job, I felt bad that he used it in this match, because I did not think the intensity fit the first ever blade job for Colt Cabana. Um, yeah. Yeah. Like, I, I don't know. Um, but, but Aries was headbutting Colt's head. He was, um, you know, then he started like methodically taking him to, apart. Generation next was getting some cheap shots in the, you know, Cabana. I mean, Cabana was still trying to do some comedy. Like he schoolboyed the ref at one point. Um, and so Cabana eventually does like a classic dusty comeback with like elbows and stuff and like shimmying. Crowd's still not having it. They I don't know if they they just don't see him as a baby face yet. I don't know. But um but Shelly tripped the trip cult as he was running the ropes and that allowed Aries to do the crucifix into the rings of Saturn and like Aries was like shaking it and cranking on it and so Cabana actually passed out and Paul Turner stopped the match. Um, I feel like the match would have been better if the crowd bought into Colt as a babyface. 
But um, but as it was, you know, it was. I, I I appreciated what they were going for, but I just don't think it totally clicked. I think the crowd didn't help. Um, there are a couple of uh, just noteworthy commentary things. Um, that Gabe noted that there was going to be the funniest, good times, great memories ever with the biggest surprise guest ever. And I, I actually got excited for it, and I did not realize <laughs> that it was just a misdirect for like this injury angle they're about to do. And then the other thing was, as far as commentary misogyny, uh, I, don't, I don't know if this really necessarily fits misogyny, but Nolte makes like a lawn mowing analogy, not having anything to do with Manscaped. And Gabe says, I usually get my wife to mow the lawn. So I don't know what the hell that's going on on that commentary team. But you know, you know what made that great is Gabe says that it's supposed to be like, like you know, you can tell he's expecting that classic kind of like Gorilla Monsoon, will you stop or whatever. And there is just a long, like two or three beat awkward silence where neither of them say anything and they never acknowledge it again. Like it's just, oh, usually my wife most long. It's just pause. Well, that's oh, probably, that's pro- you know, like- <laughs> probably for the best. <laughs> and, uh. It's like they're both trying to be Jerry Lawler on the show. I don't know. They're just taking turns. But before I give it to Joe, Matt, you mentioned commentary stuff, so I got to bring it in here. This is one part I, I I think I mentioned this to you in private. I'm not sure if I did actually or not. Uh, the thing that actually prompts the lawn, lawn mowing thing, uh, Nulty, you know, the blood is starting to flow into Colt's eyes. And Nulty says, if you've ever been mowing the lawn and your, the sweat gets into your eyes and stings them, he says, multiply that by 15,000 times. And that's what Colt Cabana is feeling right now. 15,000 times. <laughs> if you multiply anything by 15,000 times, it would be literally unbearable. Like, I, I, yeah, <laughs> like if you multiply a back scratch fifteen thousand times, I would probably be dead right now. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's really, it's still just liquid in your eyes. Just it's red, and I guess you're scared because it's not supposed to be coming out. But yeah, it doesn't seem like it would be that that different. I don't know. I, I, I did feel bad knowing that he got LASIK. That he was getting. I don't know how that would affect LASIK, but I can't imagine you want blood in your eyes after they've just been cut open, probably like a few weeks before. But or or ever. Yeah, 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 ever. I mean, you know, if you like it, who knows? Joe, what did you think of the match? And do you like having blood in your eyes? Uh, it's a big no on the blood in the eyes there. Well, and, you know, well, uh, you know, we're 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 hoping to elect a president who apparently likes to have blood in his eyes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm getting political here. Uh, no, I'm just saying. <laughs> Joe just treated you, Matt, like you had made a joke to comment about your wife mowing lawns. <laughs> it's it's uh, it's well, well a well deserved a groan by from Joe Gagne. So Joe, you were part of this crowd that was very quiet for this match. Uh, <laughs> hey, don't blame me. <laughs> I'm putting it all on you. You're representative of the whole. Jeez. You are Braintree, Massachusetts. Joe oh Gagne. man. Uh, well, I have to say, like the first part of this match where. Colts using his comedic stylings to give noted grump Austin Aries the business. Uh, I found uh, very enjoyable. Uh, I think at one time, like you know, he kind of suckers Aries into an eye poke, but he's wearing the goggles, so Aries sells his hand. I, I don't know. I get a kick out of that. But then the next thing we know, Aries is doing a cactus jack elbow to the floor, and Colts all busted open. So there was a pretty abrupt shift in tone there. Also because Mick Foley is coming into the next uh, the next show, which I thought was a kind of a nice little little bit of build. Um, I thought the interference was like a little outrageous because they were clearly 
you know, grabbing at Colt and hold, holding him at one point, and the ref was like doing nothing about it. I thought it was a little, a little bad. And uh, yeah, I, I don't know if um, when Colt does the roll up of the referee, I don't know. If, I don't know if Gabe was like, man, he's like, this is just sad. I don't know if he's actually didn't think it was comedy or had no place. I I thought that was strange, but uh, yeah, this was uh, quite crowd aside, and like I said, this was the fourth straight, you know, decent singles match in a row. They probably just weren't feeling it, is my thoughts. But, you know, you know not bad, but uh, just okay-ish, I guess. This is a, another match I think I liked a bit more than both of you guys. I thought it was another good match. You know, it was it was disappointing, but I thought disappointing for these two is still good. I actually... Th- I really like Colt's performance in this. I thought the comedy stuff, like I mentioned earlier, was really well integrated for one of the early times in his Ring of Honor career. I um, that that spot you you meant just mentioned, Joe, where uh, Colt can't see, so he he schoolboys the referee, and that's when Gabe. That's sad. I think he, that's just Gabe trying to say, like, oh, you know, Colt so out of this match now that it's like this should be stopped. You know, it's Gabe being dramatic, but um, I I thought. I, uh, I I really like. I thought Colt's selling was really good. I thought his offense was good. I thought the weird thing about this match was Aries is just in the midst of the biggest push of his career. He just had, you know, the last match show was testing the limit where he won this mammoth main event over Brian Danielson. And here, this, this really feels like the Colt Cabana show and the whole focus feels like on Colt and Aries just feels like the other guy in the match. Like, it's kind of like, even though he wins... He kind of feels like the afterthought. Like even even when Aries is in control later in the match, I just felt like maybe because Colt's offense, I mean, selling was more compelling. I don't think Aries didn't do anything wrong, but I didn't think his offense was super. Like it wasn't the, his most memorable performance. And also Colt bleeding, which I agree with you, Matt. It's like way too like this match is not heated or big enough to justify your first ble- bleeding ever. But it again, it kind of I felt like. It just put all the focus on Colt. And I felt like this match could have been a lot better if that crowd had been into it. Because so much of this match is about Colt building to that big comeback and being the really lovable babyface. And near the end, he's doing the the firing up and he's throwing punches. And there's the crowd's just not with him at all. And I just felt like that alone would probably raise the match in most viewers' eyes. If you just had the crowd like really going nuts when he makes that big comeback. But... uh, for whatever reason, the heat or or just whatever, yeah, they did not go for they did not bite on this match. Um, also remember, I will also remember. I don't know if the Second City Saints face turn had even come out on tape yet. Um, so you know that also could be a part of it. And clearly, because we'll we'll get to that soon. I, I think they felt like they needed to have them turn live in the building because I mean, Punk does a little bit of of uh, stuff on the mic in the ring shortly after this where he really like sucks up to Boston. So I think it's clear. Uh, yeah. Like going to your point, they were probably thinking like you need to like really get these crowd, th- this crowd on your side because they might not be aware or, you know, they might be thinking of you of the last show where you were here or stuff like yeah, that. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I just want to go back again to, I just want to thank again, Jeff Schwartz for, from an honorable mention for mentioning like Matt laid out, uh, that, after listening to our last episode, he pointed out that Colt was wearing the goggles because he had recently gotten LASIK. I would have never noticed the eyes comment 
without having that in mind. But when you know that's there, it is so obvious, like when you know to look for it, because he's saying it like in full view of the camera and you can tell it's not him like going the eyes and paint. It's just like, he's like the eyes, like that kind of frantic, like I t- remember I told you don't do, you know, don't go near my eyes. And yeah, for whatever reason, Aries didn't hear or ha- was pumped up or something. He, fucking slams his head into the post again after he says the eyes the eyes or whatever and it's just i felt bad for colton then he's starting to bleed in the face another thing this match does that isn't the i don't want this to be pick on mark nolte night but um mark nolte has done this thing he's done this before too where a guy bleeds and then the blood like closes up and the blood's mostly wiped away and mark nolte is still acting like they're bleeding like a faucet like he's like at one point, he says something like, Colt has to end the match in 60 seconds because, you know, the blood, he, the blood loss is going to be too much. And I think, like, even 30 or 45 seconds later or somewhere later, Gabe's, like, saying, like, oh, it looks like the cut's closing up on Colt. And there's, like, no blood on his face. And it, it, it's just stuff like that where you 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 I appreciate that you were trying to tell a story, but you have to tell a story that fits with what you're actually seeing on the screen. And sometimes I feel like he's not doing that. Um, I also thought this match was a little bit surprisingly stiff. There were some really hard, uh, chops from Colt and some kicks from Aries that, that ring post chop, like you said, super hard. Uh, I thought there was a cool moment where, uh, Aries tried to do that move he does where he leaps from the apron over the top rope into the ring, but he spins into an elbow in the corner and Colt like got him to crotch himself on the ropes and top rope instead, which I thought was a cool counter. But yeah, it's not a great match, and it's kind of a weird match. It feels, again, in some ways, like a little bit slight in a weird way. Like, I don't know. But it was their first match in Ring of Honor against each other. Even though it was lengthy, it just there's there's something a little weird about it. But anyway, after the match, Aries sandwiches Colt's arm between chairs, and he does a 450 on it, so he basically pilmanizes it, does a pilmanized 450. Uh, Colt and Ace arrive seconds afterwards, and they chase Generation Next off. Or or no, uh, Punk and Ace, not Colt and Ace. Colt did not save himself. Uh, Punk gets on the mic, and he calls Generation Next a midget circus, and Aries a cross-eyed bastard. He, he points out that the Raven feud started in Boston, but tonight might be the most important Ring of Honor match he's ever had. I thought it was Shelly that he was calling the cross-eyed bastard. Oh, maybe Shelly. Maybe I'm getting all my names screwed up here. I think you're right. I think you're right about Shelly. Yeah. So um, Punk says when he's done becoming the icon of Ring of Honor tonight, he's coming after Generation Next, including Flippy McGillicuddy, wherever he is, which, of course, is Jack Evans. Uh, Punk begs Shelly to get in the ring, and he says he'll send him back to Jarrett's pocket. Uh, So another little TNA jab. And then Punk says something else I can't quite make out. And then Shelly, we can see at ringside, is just motioning that he's making all the money in TNA. So did you guys hear what Punk said? There seemed to be a bunch of TNA jabs here, but... Um, I couldn't I tell. Couldn't quite I make it out. Yeah, not me neither. The house mics are not great. And that brings us to another interesting segment. We cut to... after it's We're still in the ring, but it's clearly some time has passed because all that is in the ring is... The only person in the ring is Sugar Sean Price, and he announces to the fans that when Ring of Honor returns to Boston, they will see the in-ring de- Ring of Honor debut of Jushin Thunder Liger. There's a big pop in the building, and uh, I wrote in my notes before I looked at Joe's review after I watched the whole show, Joe Gagney's live review of the show, 
I just wrote my notes before that. Sugar Sean Price getting the Gary Michael Capetta announcements now. And it's interesting because then, Joe, I read your live report and you write that Sugar Sean Price comes out to make an announcement about the next Boston show. He said he was the only voice of Ring of Honor and acting all cocky. And then you made like a say, I don't know if we need Jonathan Coachman in Ring of Honor. And so did, did it come off like they, they do not show that part on on the video. Did it come off live as like, or you might not even remember this, like that they were trying to make Sugar Sean Price a heel? Yeah, I don't exactly remember. But uh, yeah, just going over my notes, it was like... Where's this coming from? Like, why is he? Why is he not just making announcements? Why is he? Like, do we really need a, a um, feud between announcers and Ring of Honor? It, well, apparently, Ga- apparently Gabe dis- apparently Gabe decided you did not need that because it never really materialized. Very wisely. Yeah. Yes, and uh, this was where they had first announced the uh, weekend of Thunder weekends, or as I thought he said, weekend of fun when they first announced <laughs> it. it was. That's not the official name. But so, so after all of the changes to the lineup on this show, were you like, yeah, I bet Juice and Liger is really going to show up? Like, kind of like not even trusting it? Um, no, it was just, it was like, I, you know, I suppose that's always a possibility. But they had, they had brought over the All Japan wrestlers with success before. Mm-hmm. And I figure, you know, Juice and Liger coming in for, he's not someone who's going to have to suddenly headline a big New Japan show. So <laughs> I figure it was clear. So I, I, guess i felt pretty good about it so that that's a pretty that's a pretty cool thing they they had boston actually get not only the jushin liger but actually the singles match and like the first one you know that's almost like the um you know get like you know new york got joe versus kobashi and then philly got the tag match so you guys actually got the almost almost the bigger match oh yeah the singles match between him and, and danielson absolutely yeah, like it, it's funny because it feels like you know uh, by this point in Ring of Honor, Boston had fallen down the pecking order a bit. From um, you know you got Philly, you got soon you'd have New York, you had New Jersey, you had Chicago starting up. But that yeah, that that's a really big match to give. And if and you look at this show, and maybe it's like you said earlier, Joe, the H two thing. But the the fact that they had originally booked Danielson and uh, Joe here, that you know they were putting on some, at least intending on putting on some really big main events in Boston for during this period. Yes. And I mean, we were going to start creeping into where the Boston area got the Friday shows and New York would get Saturdays and the Saturdays usually being the bigger shows, but this was a, a start where, you know, we, we got that big singles match. Yeah. And that brings us to the ring of honor tag team title match of the Havana Pitbulls, Ricky Reyes and Rocky Romero defeating special K of Dixie and Izzy, who was escorted to the ring by Angel Dust, Becky Bayless, Cheech, Cloudy, and Lacey, who I believe, Matt, we might have seen in the background in one Ring of Honor show, maybe. But uh, this is where she's really debuting as a character in a big way. And uh, the Havana Pitbulls win in 1349 when Reyes pinned Dixie after Romero hit a big guillotine knee drop to the head. Um, Joe... What do you think? I don't know how much experience you have with the Havana Pitbulls, but what do you think about this uh, this match? You know, definitely, again, it was supposed to be the them versus the Briscoes, but instead, on short notice, you get them versus Dixie and Izzy. Yeah, live, I, I think we found out at the show live, they announced uh, there had been the motorcycle accident. And we kind of figured, you know, like, well, they clearly, it took the intrigue out because the Pitbulls were new, special case on a losing streak. You know, the chances of them winning the title seem slim. And on commentary, they even talk about how Special K is probably number three contenders at best because the Briscoes were injured and, and 
Moff and Whit- Whitmer were in the uh, scramble cage melee match because of Alice in Danger, which also I thought was just kind of kind of interesting. I thought the I thought Izzy looked real good. He had some good high flying. Uh, it just kind of felt like they did too much stuff. They were it felt like there were like a couple too many hot tags uh, between Special K for a fairly brief match. I felt that this had a bit more structure to it. It would have been a bit better because I think Special K could have been very effective as baby faces because they'd been heels pretty much their entire two plus year run in ring of honor. And I thought the, the pit bulls looked good. This wasn't super or anything. I thought it was, it was fine. It was nice, nice to see a tag match after uh, four straight singles matches, which was good. So again, another, you know, pretty, pretty good, pretty good match. Uh, I, I thought this was a, a good match, like not about the level of a lot of the other matches on the undercard, maybe a little worse or, you know, it's not that much different. Um, I, I enjoyed it because I felt like I was surprised. I, I, I felt like Izzy and Dixie really kept the pace going. They really were. I, I It looked like they had their working shoes on. They were really work, just doing a lot here. Not necessarily even in moves, just in their pace. They kept going and going. And um, I was shocked, though, about this is kind of like the Aries cult match where the Havana Pitbulls just became tag champs. And I don't recall a match where I've ever seen Izzy and Dixie get this much offense. Like they, they work the, the pit bulls pretty even in this match for a lot of the way. And even when the pit, I mean, the pit bulls do get some offense, but, and when they do it stiff, you know, their usual hard offense, but they never get really that much of a sustained run for a lot of the match. And early on the, the Izzy and Dixie really have us have them on the ropes and it kind of opens it up for one of Gabe's, one of our biggest pet peeves with Gabe's commentary, which is he's super telegraphing everything. So right at the start of the match, he's saying, Oh, you know, this will be over soon. Izzy and Dixie aren't going to win, blah, blah, blah. And then of course they dominate a large portion of the match from there. And then when they looks, when later in the match, when, when it's getting near the end where they might win, Gabe's like, Oh, we're going to see new tag champs. So, you know, it's the typical thing of whatever direction the match is about to go when Gabe is tipping you off because he's just going so hard in the opposite direction. And when you do that all the time, you're just tipping off everything. But um, it's, it's weird. Like I felt this was an entertaining tag match. I continue to say what I said on the last show, I think Matt, where um, the, the Havana pit bulls, they're technically proficient at this point. And I like Rocky Romero now in the modern era, but there's something about them. That's just a little mechanical in ring of honor. It's just, there's something missing, but I felt like that the fact that Izzy and Dixie had so much of this match and kept it moving kind of, limited how that would affect the match it, 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 again it's another match where it kind of feels like just like the aries match felt more like a colt cabana match with them being with aries being the uh, guest star this felt like more of a special k story of like oh look how special k is taking things seriously and growing and look at ringside where Lacey's being bitchy and all this stuff and it, it, the havana pitbulls the newly crowned tag champs are just kind of like the special guest stars that happened to win the match. But uh, what did you think? So I think I'm the high vote on this match. Um, I think that, like, and it's part of it, it's an expectations game. But I thought this might be my favorite Havana Pitbulls match. Um, like, just because I didn't expect anything of it. And I liked that they were getting, like, this this baby face shine, the special K was. And they were getting some big moves in. 
and I thought the moves kind of looked good. And like the one thing I will say to its detriment is I thought the announcers were more excited by Special K's big big comeback than the uh, crowd was. Um, <laughs> but I don't know. I don't know. Something struck me about it. I thought it was very entertaining. I really, I like you. I agree with um, with Joe about Izzy. I thought Izzy was like a star in this match. You know, he. I like you know, like the way he would like break up moves. Like I like you know he was just doing lots of springboard splashes, assisted slice bread number two. I like how he took moves. Like as he had all this momentum, and Reyes stopped him with a with a with a really good spine buster, and then put on a sharpshooter. Um, I like that you know when Izzy broke up the abridging German suplex with a cabrada, which I was like that flip was unnecessary because he probably should have just like kicked him to break up the pin, but it, it was it was entertaining. Um, I, you know, and I, um, I don't know. I just thought it had a good pace. It was, it was good, and um, just to get some of the uh, the funny parts, um, Nolte again goes sarcastically. Oh, that's exactly what Special K needs to keep them focused. More women at ringside. Um, so again, um, Nolte with women. Um, then Gabe goes, and I, I actually sent you a message about this one. He goes. Lacey is pretty hot, but she's pretty young looking. You gotta stay stay away from these young girls. They'll get you in trouble. And it's like, is Gabe Sapolsky on an ROH DVD in 2004 really making a joke about being around underage people and getting in trouble from it? Did he really think this was a good idea? Like, I found this unbelievable that he would joke like this at this point. This is something like, I have to imagine it wasn't like Gabe's intention to do to like have it play the way it would to us and probably a bunch of people watching but it's one of those things where one how can it not be in your mind after just everything you've gone through in recent months with Rob Weinstein and two how do you not realize what you've done and like edit that out yeah how how I mean not that it Obviously yeah, obviously, made, I, yeah, it obviously made no difference. So I guess I guess we're the ones who are wrong. But still, like, it's crazy. This is right after Rob finally got like really forced out, and and you're making a joke about not wanting to like stay away from the underage kids. Like, it's it's like this is one of those times where you know whatever people think about modern society or or you know everyone has different standards for how vigilant we should be about stuff like this is a thing that they're lucky they did it in 2004 cuz if that was a clip like on a live eye pay-per-view today yeah twitter would blow up yeah yeah that would be way different yeah i um i um i i don't know i don't get it um as far as the lacy stuff um like the problem with the lacy angle that they were doing on this is that a lot of the stuff they were trying to get over about lacy was not on camera like at one point gabe even mentions like you know you're not actually seeing it but i noticed that lacy she she's only interested in the match when izzy is in there she doesn't really care when dixie is in there and it's like oh then maybe you should have showed that like instead of just really telling and not uh, yeah, thing. exactly. So I mean, they eventually do show it, and after the match, you know, they kind of get the point across. But um, but yeah, I I enjoyed this. I thought it was like really fun. I don't know. It's I was surprised that I liked it so much, but I really enjoyed it. And um, you know, I like the the dissension in the special K ranks. I don't really think the payoff is ever as good as like they would want it to be. Um, but I do enjoy like the way they're splitting up the group. I think it's like a fairly organic thing they're doing. Yeah, so the storyline here, uh, they're really starting here. We talked a little bit about it earlier, but 
like Special K offer handshakes before this match. So again, it's another chance for Gabe to say like, look, Special K's taking things more seriously. They're even respecting the code of honor and stuff like that. And Izzy's new girlfriend is Lacey. And like you said, Matt, um, there, there's a moment, I felt bad for Gabe here where because the camera's not really catching what Lacey's doing on the outside, like you said, Gabe's having to say, you don't see it, but you know, here's me selling the angle. You know, Lacey's only cares about Izzy. She doesn't care about anyone else in Special K. And there's one point where he's doing this, clearly just trying to establish this angle the only way he can. And Mark Nolte says something like, will you stop talking about the women? Like, you know, focus on Special K. And it's like, Mark, you, I almost got, I was like, you fucking idiot. He's clearly trying to start an angle here. The booker of the company. Like, can't you, like, I can hear that. I'm a yokel sitting in my fucking, you know, apartment watching this. I can tell he's doing that. You're his color commentating partner. And you can't tell what he's doing where you're like, quit talking about that. It's like, what? But I agree, Matt. Like, I do think this match, you said you act, you were wondering, almost wondering if you were crazy. I think you're not crazy to think this is the best Havana Pitbulls match so far in Ring of Honor. I think it's better than the Briscoes match. I think it's better than the Punk and uh, Ace Steel match. Definitely better than that one. Yeah. Or I, I forget if that was Colt. It was Punk. Oh, no. It was Colt. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It was Colt. Uh, screwed up. It, it, it was better than the six man they were in. I think. And uh, I think a lot of that's because of Special K. And uh, there were some really cool moments. I did think Ricky Reyes did a really good sharpshooter. There's so many guys that do a bad sharpshooter. I thought he did a really good one where he leaned back on it. Uh, there was a brutal spot in this match where Reyes put Dixie in a waist lock and Dixie went, like, walked to the ropes and grabbed the ropes to try and break it. And Romero was standing on the apron and he just kicks Dixie right in the head and it makes real contact and you can hear a thud. And it was just brutal. And there was also even a really fun hot tag sequence where Dixie has Rocky Romero covered. Reyes goes to break it with an elbow drop. Dixie rolls out of the way, so the elbow drop hits Romero. So then the pit bulls are lying side by side. Dixie immediately makes the tag to Izzy, who does a springboard frog splash onto both pit bulls who are laying side by side. And it's just a very smooth, like, bang, bang, bang sequence. That's So, yeah, stuff like that really was cool. Um, so at that, at that point, after the match... Um, Lacey yells at Dixie. She's berating him for losing the match. Becky defends uh, him, and Special K starts arguing amongst themselves. They get into shoving matches. Dixie, Angel Dust, and Becky are all on one side, and then Izzy, Cheech, Cloudy, and Lacey are on the other. They eventually all walk back to the back together, so we'll see another segment later building this up. But, yeah, we're starting to build the the breakup of Special K. Um, and that brings us to the Ring of Honor pure title match. John Walters defeats Doug Williams in 18 minutes, 46 seconds with a leg vine submission while Williams was trapped in the ropes. He wins the pure title um, after the ring entrances. But before the next, before the match starts, Samoa Joe walks to the ring. He grabs the mic. He addresses Doug Williams. And he says that no one denies that he's a great wrestler or no one denies that he deserves to be the pure champ, but he needs to remember that the pure belt means nothing compared to the ring of honor world title. Joe then reminds John Walters that he's in front of his hometown crowd, and he tells him not to choke here like he does everywhere else. So, um, for this match, I have a feeling I'm going to be the low vote on this. And I don't know, maybe this match will age differently, but I read Joe's live report after I watched the match. I read some other live reports, and most people seem to agree that we're there live, that this was the match of the show. Uh, this was probably my least favorite match of the show. I thought it was just average to a little bit above average i thought the first half of this match is pretty boring and a lot of what i hate 
about like this era of technical wrestling or pure title matches where I, I've said this before. There's two ways. To, I love Matt wrestling, but there's two ways Matt wrestling can be interesting to me. It's either really inventive, cool, painful looking moves like a Zack Sabre Jr. would do, or you really sell the submissions and tell a story with them. Like Brian Danielson, we talked about on the very last show, how he makes simple submissions fascinating because he cranks on them he sells he like really sells when he's in them he really works the whole he doesn't just grab something and then lay in it kind of limply and go well this is my turn then you flip me over this match i felt like for the first half was just my submission your submission and not really telling a story until about halfway in where john walters gets a williams leg and does like a stunner over his shoulder with the leg and from there this match does have a story and it gets a lot better. Uh, Walters gets Williams to use all three of his f- rope breaks in short order back to back to back. Cause he's just f- from there on just focused doggedly on the leg uh, right after that. Williams makes a comeback. He gets uh, Walters to use all, all three of his rope breaks. And then they have a uh, two or three minutes of really fun, bigger moves that eventually ends with a, uh, Walters getting the win by submission and I just felt like the crowd was pretty quiet for a lot of this match apart from a few chants for the hometown Walters there's even a point where deep into the match Gabe says something on commentary like you know the crowds you know kind of discouraged because part of the story of this match is the idea that and this is a funny thing that ages fun in a humorous way Gabe tries to tell the story that you know Many Boston franchises have a history of choking and John Walters, you know, maybe he's choking this match away because he was up three to nothing on rope breaks and now it's three to three, which is funny considering that, you know, in 2020, if you want if you look at any city in America that's done great in major sports, I mean, they have titles in the last two decades in all four major sports. I was actually going to, um, I was actually going to ask when this about this line, how satisfying Joe was to hear that line, knowing that in just a few months, the curse would be broken by the Red Sox. Yes. The uh, Red Sox would come back from a three, nothing deficit. Well, like Doug Williams did, I guess, but that's not just, but just like uh, two months after this, it's, it's like, yeah, it was like, yeah, it was like a, two months afterwards. Uh, the Red Sox have won four championships, so uh, you can eat on that, Mark Nolte. <laughs> Dave Sapolsky lifted the curse. Um, but, y- yeah, it's just uh, – but anyway, I was just going to say before I throw it to you, Joe, um, you hear Gabe say, oh, maybe the crowd's kind of burned – you know, kind of disappointed, and that's why they're quiet. They didn't sound that much more quiet than what had gone on earlier in the match. But to my point, in those final few minutes where the action picks up and they really start going for it, I felt like the crowd got really loud and the pop for John Walters actually winning was bigger than anything else in the match. So I I felt like there was a John Walters, Doug Williams match possible that the crowd would have been probably pretty jazzed for. And this one, I felt like they were more kind of respectful, but not super loud for most of it until it got to what I thought was the really good stuff. But at the same time, maybe, I'm completely misreading the crowd because I go look at these live reports from you and other people and they're all saying like, oh, this was the match of the show. So did your opinion change based on the rewatch all these years later or or did you still think this is like a great match? I don't think it was great. I thought it was enjoyable, though. I thought the choice to have Walters be the one to be up three nothing in terms of rope breaks was interesting because it's not like he, you know, if he went down three nothing, he could say, oh, he rallied back. But. It was more like, oh, he just didn't blow it, which isn't quite as inspiring a story. Uh, yeah, these matches kind of get into like a race to see who can get 
the other wrestler to go through their rope breaks the most, which is kind of weird. But I always like seeing Doug Williams wrestle, so I, I was probably a bit more tolerant of that than you were. I, I don't know if it's the best show. It probably wasn't my favorite match of the show, but I thought it was good. I thought it was the best thing we'd seen so far on this show. Um, the the pop, I, you know, the pop. I, I remember I didn't expect Walters to win, even though it wasn't his hometown. It's not like there had been any kind of real sustained push or anything like that. Like, or like, Oh, he promised to win or, or anything like that. I think this is just kind of a title match they announced. So yeah, I think there's kind of a big surprise. Like, Oh, the title changed hands, a big pop for that when we didn't expect it. But uh, overall, no, I thought it was good. Yeah. That's a really good point that we should bring up too is and Matt. We've been following every show like John Walter's career trajectory in ring of honor. It's almost like a kind of a, Matt Stryker esque where it feels like he's getting a push kind of after he's cooled off a bit because at the end of 2003, he had the big final battle match ladder with the ladder with Xavier. And it felt like he had some momentum. And I went back and uh, you look at his year, 2004, his booking in ring of honor. It's a lot of kind of, um, thrown together mid card tag matches against generation next that, that his teams, you lose more than they win. It's a clean loss to Chad Collier, who isn't even a full-time ring of honor guy. And then he wins one match against Nigel McGuinness and he's getting this tile match and then he wins. And it feels kind of like there's been no build to this push that all of a sudden now it's like, it's time to push John Walters, but you're not really ready for it. So what do you think about that, and what do you think about the match? As far as the John Walters push, yeah, it felt like they lost some confidence in him and then gained it back, maybe with some of those Generation Next matches, because I thought those matches were all very good. Um, so I think, you know, that might have helped his case a little bit. And, you know, maybe with Boston coming up, they were like, maybe now's the time. You know, if I recall correctly, his pure title reign is not memorable at all. Um, I can't think of like, oh, that great John Walters pure title defense. I guess we'll we'll see as we watch. But um, you know, you know, maybe you know, Gabe just finally felt like, hey, it's time to give a, put a little confidence in this guy. I like this match more than both of you. I will say that. I uh, I thought this was a very 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 good match. I wouldn't. I'd fall. It falls a little bit short of great, but very good. Um, you know, and like like uh, Joe said, I just and I, as everybody who listens knows, I love Doug Williams's mat work, and he does it. You know, he does all the the usual stuff, and Walters counters it, and he does some cool stuff too. Like Walters does this like reverse step over toe hold with a neck bridge, and then Doug escapes and does does his own. Um, and like I, I like that. Like so, basically. These pure title matches, like Joe said, they're sort of a, a game of rope breaks, right? So each match, they try to do the rope break thing creatively. So the way they did it in this match was they tried to escape lots of holes early without ever using any rope breaks, and I enjoyed that. And then, like, they all got their rope breaks in very quick succession later in the match. Like, it's just like kind of boom, 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 one, two, three with rope breaks. And, um, you know, it's, it's just a different way of doing it. I didn't mind. Um some of the stuff that I thought was kind of silly was like the uh, Williams had his leg worked on for a long time. So at one point, like well, Williams dropped the the back of Walter's head on his bad knee, and it's just like, I mean, would a smart wrestler really do that? Like you have two knees, why don't you drop them on the good one? <laughs> um, 
I also thought it was interesting that Walters used his third rope break on a camel clutch. You don't usually see that too often in ROH, but um, but that happened. Um, I like some of the stuff Gabe does on commentary with the callbacks. Like sometimes it's obnoxious, like you said, but at one point, like Will Walters was now using the ropes, like for a for almost like a, a putting his knee in the ropes and like pulling after Doug had used his rope breaks. And Gabe mentioned that Walters used the, a Boston Crab in the ropes on Chad Collier months earlier to win the pure title preview match um so i um so i uh you know i like the gabe like remembered those little things and and kind of added some context to some of the stuff they were doing um but like you mentioned uh trevor like the, i remember they did near falls early in the match i mean not near falls a like dueling chance early in the match and they were very tepid. They were like, let's go Walters, let's go Williams. But by the end of the match, they were like full, strong, dueling chants. And isn't that a sign that the match worked? Like that they, um, you know, that they really pulled the crowd in and, you know, got some exciting stuff going on. Um, got some good near falls, right? Williams rolled through with, uh, uh, with, a, with a Rana and, gra- and grabbed a roll up for a near fall. Walters did like a, a lung blower to the front, then one to the back. And I thought that was an even better near fall. Um, you know, I liked that. I liked how Williams kept like doing bridging suplexes where he couldn't keep his leg on the ground because one of them was bad. And that built up to Walters kicking out of the chaos theory, which I don't know. Has anyone kicked out of the chaos theory before this? If they have, it's very rare. Yeah, I forget. I, I, when I watched this, I couldn't remember, but there's some reason there's part of my brain that says that someone did. Did you think maybe Danielson might have? I'm not. I'm not sure that it's, someone might. It's possible, but like Walters is not a guy you would think of who would do that. But the way they built it up, I thought made it make sense. Um, and then like. I don't know. I, I, I thought it was really good. I, I, I actually still think that it would have been sweeter for Walters if he had won the title from Shelley. Um, but this may be made for a better match. I don't know. Yeah, this might be the biggest because we disagree on things. But usually we disagree like, oh, minor disagreement. Like if we're using star ratings, like maybe we're disagreeing by a quarter or a half star. I think we probably this is probably one of our biggest disagreements because I didn't think this was a bad match, but you thought it was, you know, really good. I thought this was maybe barely above average. I, I here's the thing. I felt like those last three minutes were Bare- saying. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Go I was going to say, barely above average? I, I, I don't know. Okay, I don't know. But uh, go ahead. Well, well, all right. Here's the thing. I thought the first half bored me to tears of this match. The second half, once they had the story, once everything from when Walter starts working on the leg was entertaining to me. And the final three minutes I thought was, like, legitimately great. The stuff you talked about, like, where um, Williams is lifting his leg while he's doing bridging suplexes, I thought was great. I thought the excitement was was really good on what they were both doing at that point. And like you said, at those last three minutes, like, you're saying that's proof that the whole match was good. I'm saying, I'm thinking that's proof that the last three minutes were really good. But, you know, we can agree to disagree on that. But... That first half, I just thought was it's the kind of plotting, meaningless, time filling stuff, in my opinion, where it does, you know, it's not till halfway through the match where you finally start to see the story, which is okay, William's leg is hurt. Um, you know, all now he's going to use up all his rope breaks. And I did like that story. I did think it was something they hadn't yet done in pure title matches where someone loses all their rope breaks in a row and then has to fight back from that deficit. The only other thing I noticed that maybe I'm crazy about about this but what did you guys think about all the submissions in the ropes because it felt like a lot of the times you know when you use up all the rope breaks then you can put 
when your point uses all their rope breaks, you can then put them in submissions and the ropes and the ropes are legal. And so both guys in this match try and do that to the other. But I felt like a lot of the rope submissions didn't look great. Like it just looked like they got the guy in the ropes and they were like, how am I going to do this? I, I think I wrote in my notes. It was like me wrapping a present for my mom when I was 12 years old. Like you're just trying to, okay, how do I get this to tie? I'll just bend his arm around this rope. And like, it, it just, I thought a lot of them didn't look great. I guess is I thought that was kind of funny to me. None of the rope break moves like the the rope submissions stood out as being like impressive, but none of them like really stood out to me in a negative sense either. It was just sort of like the fact of the ropes is what the move was, you know what I mean? Where it's just like, all right, well they're doing a submission in the ropes. So like I guess if that's not enough, like then I think that's a fair criticism. Like they just they didn't do enough with the ropes. They just like they they expected the ropes being there to be enough to make the move impressive. Uh, so I, I kind of see your point there. Well, even just you'd mentioned how Gabe did a good job of tying, you know, this this show into the the one where um John Walters wrestled uh, some Chad Collier, yeah, Collier, and Collier, the, yeah, the, yeah, and got the back, you know, the Boston Crab in the ropes. We don't see anything in this match as cool as that. I would say in terms of like rope moves. I think that's right. that's a that's a fair point. I I just I think I like the early part of the match more than you because I just I yeah I liked I like William I just like watching Williams do stuff and also I I did I got into that early story which was they were trying to avoid doing rope breaks at all costs like they were they were finding unique ways to get out of holds and I appreciated that. So yeah, that's uh, this is a match definitely for people to watch and you know decide you know what side you come down. It's one of the rare times we have I think that wide of a golf. Um, and so yeah, big win for John Walters, big pop for the win. Gabe even said during the match that John Walters promised he'd win the title tonight in front of his hometown crowd. He says his parents, family, and friends are in attendance. Um, and uh, he, I, he's done that. Gabe's done that. John Walters promised gimmick before because he's done this. He promised he's going to win this match in Boston, and he and he has. So basically, John Walters, a very early version of Paul Heyman managing Brock Lesnar. When he promises something, it's going to happen. But uh, up next was the three-way dance, where the stipulation being that the winner gets to be the icon of Ring of Honor, a clearly thrown-together stip to try and add some extra meaning to a non-title match, and the icon thing ended up meaning nothing, but... Homicide defeated CM Punk and Samoa Joe in 1754 when he pins Samoa Joe after Punk hits Joe with the Pepsi plunge. Homicide, you know, gets him out of the ring and steals the win. Uh, Homicide is the icon of Ring of Honor. Matt, uh, we've seen, you know, Ring of Honor did not do many three ways. I don't know if Gabe was a very big fan of them, but it's funny because when you think back of the three ways they have done, I would say Key Danielson and Christopher Daniels was the main event of their first show and probably one of the best matches of that year. Um, then in 2003, Key wrestled uh, AJ Styles and Paul London at the second anniversary or first one year anniversary show. And I would say that's probably one of the top five, top 10 matches of that year. Uh, what did you, did you think this match lived up to that standard? Well, that, you're really lobbing a softball at me there. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm seeing up for you easy. Sure. Well, okay. So, I mean, just I will ask the listener, have you ever heard of this match before? Because that should tell you what you I need to know. No, I mean, this wasn't a bad match. Like, this was a – like, in some ways, this was a good match. Um, you know, Homicide, Samoa Joe, and CM Punk, you know, they're so talented. You know, they're such stars in this context that it's not going to be a bad match. But it was definitely missing a lot. Um, first of all – 
it starts off with something that is not very main event, which is just a lot of like goofing off about Homicide's Yankee shirt. So Homicide's wearing a Yankee shirt. So the crowd's doing, you know, Yankees suck. He puts the Yankee shirt on the referee by force. Um, referee Hansen, and so Hansen takes it off and like throws it to the ground as though it's like contaminated with coronavirus or something. Like, and I'm so it's like, is Hansen from Boston? I don't know. Um, but um, then Punk spits on the Yankee shirt, and Gabe goes, "This is going to turn Punk babyface in a hurry." Um, and it does get a pop, so you could tell that P- Gabe was thinking about ways to try to t- turn Punk babyface here. Yeah. Um, then Joe holds it up to Homicide and throws it into the crowd. Like they just really spent a long time with this baseball shirt. So, so that just tells you like just quite how how serious they were about making this a um, like a really top level main event match. Probably not that <laughs> that intense about it. So. Um, it's weird. It's weird to say that this match was not particularly um, intense, and the reason I say that is because, and I didn't remember this at all. It had a lot of fork play and bleeding and stuff, which was shocking yeah. to me. Like it was like, like you know, like pretty early on. Like they do very basic three way stuff. Like they're trading. Like they're almost doing like an arm drag, dosi do, and Joe and Punk are like kind of teaming up against Homicide. But then Homicide takes out the fork and he fights with Punk over it. Joe stomps on their foot, their hands as they're fighting over the the fork. Um, Homicide. Uh, so then Joe takes the fork, puts it in his boot. Um, and not too long later, Joe is out there. He does the ole ole kick um, in front of the guys with a Yankee, in front of a guy with a Yankee suck T-shirt. So that's uh, that's convenient. Um, but then right after the ole ole kick. He just forks the crap out of Homicide. Like, he's just, like, just forking him real bad. And the crowd is, like, you know, they're shocked by the forking, but they're not, like, reacting like this. Like, I just did not see this coming. Where is Abdullah the Butcher? Um, like, uh, at one point, then then Joe goes for another ole ole kick, and Punk cuts him off, takes him into the guardrail, back in the ring. So now, like, Punk is working on Homicide's cut. It's a real interesting dynamic, because Homicide's, like, a heel that everyone hates, but he's bleeding and everyone is like kind of, you know, beating him up like based on the cut and the crowd, like you could tell they're not bored, but they're not exactly like popping for this stuff. Right. Like, like homicide, like it's, it's just like a lot of weird moments. Like homicides getting the crap beat out of him, like the cut. And he comes back with like two dragon screw leg whips. Like it's just so random. And, um, so homicide is bloody. He's putting holds on punk, and, and Joe is breaking it up. And I just – this whole time I'm like, this does not feel as intense as it should. Um, at one point, Homicide and Punk, they do a table spot off the apron, but they trip and they fall and the table breaks before they can do any move. Um, so the crowd boos that, of course. But Homicide decides that he's still going to pick up Punk and pile drive him on the table, which is already flat on the floor. And the crowd, I feel like, was like, yeah, that's good enough. That's fine. <laughs> we accept that. Um so then now then they do like Joe versus Homicide for a bit. And I feel like it starts to get better at this point. Um so, but like it's just crazy. Like Joe puts Homicide in the STF and while in the STF, Joe's just like stabbing Homicide repeatedly with a fork. And I feel like I don't know. It's like Joe is like doing all this stuff that shows that he's like really angry and intense, but he doesn't feel it. Like I don't know, like like the way like the Joe is moving and like emoting, it doesn't match what he's doing. I, I don't know. Did that come across to like does that sound weird to you? Like uh, does that make sense what I'm saying? Like Yeah, I agree especially with the part about how like 
I guess maybe it, it should make more sense if we use the context of the entire feud. But in this one match, like, Homicide, you know, like you, the thing you said earlier about Homicide being almost sympathetic in the sense of, yes, he brings out the fork to start with, but he never gets to use it. And he kind of, kind of gets like the the worst end of things in this match. Like he gets brutalized in a way the other two don't. Yeah. And so it, you're, you're kind of in a position to be like, huh, like. Like, like Homicide doesn't do anything evil on this show that in the context of just this one night, you're like, wow, he's getting what he deserves. You're like, holy shit, Homicide's getting, like, stabbed brutally here. Yeah, and I feel like it was just like they kind of just thought, okay, this is just a way to make this match different. Because then once they get into the final stretch, it becomes, like, very WWE, where they're doing each other's moves, you know, like, like, uh, like, like Homicide hits the hammerlock DDT. Um, like that Punk does. Joe hits an ace crusher. Punk gets the choke on Joe. Um, you know, and then Homicide tries to do the Pepsi plunge, but Punk but Punk fights back. So Homicide knocks him off. He goes for a tornado tornado DDT, but Joe throws him off and just kicks him in the head, which somehow doesn't cause a riot. I don't know why. Um, Joe goes for a superplex, but Punk reverses and hits the Pepsi plunge, and then Homicide hits Punk with the lariat, but pins Joe. And so, like, so Gabe is like, oh, Homicide got the last laugh beating Joe in their final counter of, encounter of 2004. Um, so, you know, since Joe beating Homicide at Death Before Dishonor was Homicide's last title shot. So this was sort of an interesting booking choice. Like, they let Homicide get one up on Joe, even though he's not going to get a title shot. And But they also let Punk get one up on Joe because Punk's move is the thing that put Joe down for the pin. So, I, so like, the, the booking was interesting. Like I said, it was a pretty good match, honestly, but there was just something off about it to me. And I, I thought the ending definitely did work, though. I, I thought it was uh, disappointing. I thought it was, you know, because these three are so talented, I thought, you know, it was above average. It was, it was some, maybe even, like, very low good. You know, like a three-star, three-and-a-quarter star, somewhere in there. But, like, it's not... Yeah, it's just it's funny because these are the three biggest names in Ring of Honor at this point. They're the three three of the most talented guys in the company. So it should and you there's been some great three ways in Ring in Ring of Honor. And you even think about the future. Samoa Joe ends up going to TNA and having a couple of the best three ways of all time with Christopher Daniels and AJ Styles. But watching this match, it just felt like three guys who don't have a lot of experience with three ways and maybe don't really want to wrestle them. And we, we've talked before about this, I think, during the other three ways. But when three ways fail, I think there's usually a couple ways they can fail where either everything is too convoluted and too choreographed or it's the other way where it's just a ton of one guy sells a move for way too long on the outside so the other two can have a singles match that they actually feel comfortable having and then repeat with a different guy. And that's what this match is. It's a lot of one guy selling on the outside for a long time while the other two wrestle. Then someone comes in, then they they repeat. And there's just no flow to the match. They don't really tell a story till the finish, which, you know, like you said, the booking of that's pretty interesting. And, you know, there's the fork stuff, which... Yeah, like you said, it's weird. It's like, because the match Gabe mentions on commentary, it's, you know, anything goes. But it doesn't really feel like an anything goes match except for the fork and I guess the one table spot. It, it, it just feels like a three-way that happens to have a really brutal sequence of fork stabs to Homicide's head. But, um, yeah, it just feels like these three didn't want to have a three-way. Like, it doesn't, you don't get any of the real 
cool parts that you can get from a three-way with like three-way offense and, and, and combo stuff. You don't get that cool stuff, but then you get a lot of the negatives of three-ways, which are that it's, you know, it's hard to have three guys in the ring. So a lot of times one guy's on the outside and you can't really tell a story when you're switching in and out back and forth while well, you can, but it's more difficult. And, but I did like the end booking. You laid it out. Well, I think it gives, it is a little weird. Like you said, that homicide get gets a win over Joe when he doesn't get to uh, face ho- Joe again for a long time contractually and the feuds over, but it does set up, you know, it gives punk a reason to be mad at homicide because he stole his pin. It gives punk a, a way, a reason to say, Hey, I actually beat Joe. I just didn't get the chance to finish the job. You know, so it does set up a bunch of stuff going forward. So in that way, it's good. Um, Joe, before I throw it to you, I just want to mention, though, I guess this is pick on Mark Nolte night because this might have been the most aggravating thing he said to me. It's, he said all night. He didn't say it to me. He said it to all of us. <laughs> but uh, he, spe- he speaks to you directly at, at yes, all hours uh, of the night. Nolte has this moment. I don't know if you guys know. It's late in, later, in, somewhat in, into the match. I'm losing my mind here. Uh, Nolte where he says Punk recently has been fighting people the crowd doesn't like, so like they're behind him, but Punk hasn't changed at all, and he still does anything to win matches. And he's basically saying, you know, Punk's still a dastardly heel, like just because the fans cheering, don't you trust him? And I just thought, I think, I, let me just look at my notes. I wrote in all caps in my notes, he's a face now, you idiot. He fucking shook Steamboat's hand and saved him. He's clearly changed. Like, I, I, I was just like, the whole point of the booking of the last, like, six shows has been or whatever has been that punk has changed as a person you know he was feuded with steamboat but then he and steamboat earned each other's respect and now he's been paying more respect to people at shows even on this show you know you mentioned the yankees shirt thing and that promo earlier where he talked he put over boston like it clearly punk is a baby face and it's just there's certain moments mark nolte has where it's like he's working against the booking of the show where it makes you wonder like is he even paying attention to things going on like it is so clearly not the point of this is not that he's healed. the point is he is a face and he is acting different so yeah that just really infuriated me but uh just because it just this wasn't because there, there's evidence of the opposite on this show. It's not even like, oh, maybe Mark didn't watch the last show. This is like it's it's on this show, Mark, and you're not paying attention. But uh, Joe, I'm going to take a sip of water and calm down. What did you think about this big three way that turned out to be like the third replacement match for a different match? Uh, I like this match. I thought it was good, and good means about three and a half stars if that's your uh, if that's your scale. Uh, the, you know, the whole concept of who's the icon is dumb and it did fall into those three way, three way tropes of one person vanishing and two people and then switching out. But this match, you know, for a show that had a lot of new faces and a lot of names missing, this one felt like it had some real juice to it in, in terms of who was participating. And, you know, I, I thought the ending was very clever in terms of both guys can saying they got one up on Joe. I thought Joe looked like a force of nature in this. He's just. So good at this time. I'm guessing Homicide took such a beating because he was going over in the end. So they didn't want, didn't want to put a little more heat on him, was my guess. But I thought the work was good. I, I enjoyed it. I thought all three guys were good. A, a couple blips and, you know, just some, some parts of the three-way are just going to result in, in what it was. But, uh, no, I like this quite a bit. 
And so that ends that match. Let me just scroll back down through my notes. So we cut to backstage where Trent Acid is in front of a piece of chain link cage. So more cage promos for Matt. Uh, Trent points out that he was in the first scramble cage. Trent then says, lately he's been on a roll, which I guess he has, if you ignore that his very last match before the show was getting legit injured in a war- short world title match that yeah, he lost. In a but, match that they, they wouldn't even show the whole thing. Yeah, I was like, well, I guess we just got to pretend that didn't happen. I guess that's officially uh, what it is now. Yeah. Uh, Acid then reminds us that he's the king of the multi-man match. He says that tonight will prove why he's the most exciting and best at these kinds of matches. So, quick little Trent Acid promo. And then we cut back to the ring where I guess no one had left yet because now Generation Next jumps in and they attack CM Punk four-on-one. Four A-Steel tries to save Punk, but he gets beaten down too. Colt then comes up with a massive bandage on his head and one on his shoulder to match, and he turns the tide. Uh, Generation Next flees to the floor, and, but Colt does a big acai moonsault to take them all out, and he sells his shoulder like bloody murder. Like, he just is screaming, swearing, fuck, over and over again, holding on to it. Uh, Generation Next retreats. Ace yells at Generation Next to get the fuck out of here. Um, Ace and Punk check on Colt for a while, and eventually the three walk to the back. Colt was really selling his shoulder huge here. And um, Joe, I know from your live report, you said that Colt was even wearing an arm, like has had his arm in a sling. You saw him after the show. So I I, I don't think this was, uh, I think this was fake. This is playing off the fact that Colt did have a real shoulder injury, I think earlier in the year, but I don't think this is real, but boy, was he selling it. Yeah. I don't, I don't think it was real, but it certainly could have been from the way, he just looked in so much pain, you know, in the way he's yelling and swearing and, and all that and wearing the sling afterwards. So good job by him. I'm presuming it was not, but uh, the fact that we don't know kind of says something. Yeah. Um, and then we cut backstage to Sugar Sean Price, who says, what a great first half of action here. <laughs> yeah, I noticed and, that too. I'm like, mm. <laughs> two more of those. What, what is this? What is this? WrestleMania? Yeah, it, like it's clearly because normally the intermission comes in the yeah. first half, so he's probably just used to saying first half because this was a, the intermission, right, Joe? This was yeah when they stopped the show and set up the cage. But unlike most intermissions, there was one match left on the show, so yeah. that's a hell of a first half. But uh, Sean says Colt is on his way to the hospital. Joe got pinned. Walters won the pure title in his hometown. And he's then joined by Allison Danger, who is rocking a serious wet hair look here. Uh, Sean calls her Sweetie and Baby in short order, which seems little weird. And he, he, he was like, he was like, come on here, come out here, uh, come in here, Sweetie. How you doing, Baby? And it's like, well, like he is lucky that she didn't beat the shit out of him right there. Like, <laughs> first of all, to call any woman that like in the same sentence, but then also like Allison Danger, Sweetie, yeah, like that character. <laughs> So Allison is shaking. She feels so excited about what Moff and Whitmer are going to go through tonight. They're continuing the storyline of she owns Moff and Whitmer's contract. So she's booked them into this this horrible, you know, scramble cage match because she wants to see them bleed and die tonight. She's going to watch at ringside. Um, you know, that's even going to what Joe said earlier about, in, I think, about the commentary saying that, you know, um, that Izzy and Dixie weren't even the second choice to be the tag title shot tonight. The, he says in commentary, the reason Moff and Whitmer didn't get the title shot tonight is because Danger books them in the scramble cage match. So adding to that. And so after Allison says she wants to see them bleed and die tonight, Sh- Sugar Sean Price just says, we know what excites her, don't we? So 
Okay. <laughs> it was I'm, just, I'm, just, I'm just sitting here shaking my head. <laughs> <laughs> um, and that brings us to the main event of the show, the Scramble Cage Melee match. Jack Evans defeated Alter Boy Luke, BJ Whitmer, Dan Moth, DeVito, Loke, Diablo Santiago, Oman Tortuga, Fast Eddie, Marcos, uh, Dunn, and Trent Acid. That's a lot of people. In 17 minutes, 38 seconds, the eliminations were as follows. DeVito eliminated BJ Moff, I mean, BJ Whitmer and Dan Moff. That's the, well, remember, remember our old, um, my old joke about the t- team names being some one person's first name, the other guy's last name. So their team is called BJ Moff. BJ Moff. Uh, DeVito, so eliminated Moff and Whitmer in 522 when he moonsaulted off the top of the cage onto both of them. Alter boy Luke eliminated Logan DeVito. In 8.33, when he did a front flip, basically like a senton bomb off the top of the cage onto them onto the floor. Moth and Whitmer were also there, still brawling with Logan DeVito. Fast Eddie eliminated Alter Boy Luke, Diablo Santiago, Dunn and Marcos, and Ormond Tortuga, all of them at the same time, in 11 minutes, 13 seconds, when he moonsaulted, moonsault fall away slammed Marcos, or I guess blockbuster slam, whatever you want to call it, onto all of the rest of them. And then at that point, Fast Eddie sold an ankle injury, so he was eliminated the match at the same time. And then finally, Jack Evans eliminated Trent Acid in 17 minutes, 38 seconds, with a uh, one-and-a-half rotation leg drop from the top of the cage. I would basically call it like a 450 leg drop, maybe. Um, Joe, I'm going to let you be the first to talk about this match, but before we talk about the the match, I'll just give a couple bits of background on it. Um, First off, uh, the PW Torch, this is what I alluded to earlier, wrote, This will be the last time the scramble cage is used in 2004. Ring of Honor officials had questioned whether or not they should go forward with the scramble cage melee since they had originally announced the match to sell tickets when they were going to go head-to-head with H2 Wrestling that day. The idea was to outdo H2 Wrestling at their own game by announcing the scramble cage melee. The scramble cage melee is still on because Ring of Honor did not want to announce a match and then not deliver it. Ring of Honor's Gabe Sapolsky has stated that we will not see the scramble cage in Ring of Honor until sometime in 2005. Also, in terms of this uh, different news report, that's the end of the torch thing. In terms of the uh, the fast Eddie injury, that apparently was a work. Mike Johnson wrote after the show, despite reports coming out of the show, there were no legitimate injuries coming out of this match. So that was just a work to get fast Eddie out of the match. And finally, I guess we should just mention what the rules are, because we've seen scramble cage matches before, but not scramble cage melee. The differences in the other matches have been a scramble cage is an open top mesh cage where there's no roof, but there's a plank in each corner or I guess a platform with the idea being it encourages high flying from the top of the cage because there's more room to stand and you can balance yourself better and you can even stand in at one corner of the cage with another guy. But the, the change for scramble cage melee was to eliminate people in this match, you had to jump off the top of the cage and land on somebody. And then when you landed on them with a move that eliminated them. So the idea was on paper, you were supposed to see more eliminations because I mean, more crazy top of the cage moves because look at all these guys in the match and every one of them has to be eliminated with a move. Obviously it didn't quite turn out that way with so many multi-man eliminations, but Joe, you got to see this live, which I have to imagine was even crazier. Uh, what'd you think about the match? <laughs> I mean, watching it now, I'm like, is this even wrestling technically? Because <laughs> you lose if someone falls on you. Like, I, it's, it's just it's just weird. And it's so funny, like, you know, you're in a cage, but almost immediately people are getting thrown outside the ring and they're just brawling on the floor. And you can be eliminated on the floor because um, 
I think the Carnage crew was, and yeah. old boy Luke jumped to them on the floor. So I don't even know. I, I guess I guess the cage is to balance the platforms mostly. I just yeah, it's that literally was... just jump off the cage, and if you land on someone, no matter where they are, they're out. Yep, and uh, you know it was just you know not really. There was some, certainly some crazy bumps in this and and all that, and not a ton of story because yeah, you know, Fast Eddie eliminates. Like, I don't even, you counted them like six people, but then he doesn't even get to follow up on it. He's, you know, cause he's storyline hurt. He has to get taken out of the match. So we're left with Trent Acid and Jack Evans who hadn't really done anything to that point, which was just kind of weird. And there's just a terrifying sequence at the end where Evans tries a, a Rana off uh, on acid who's sitting on one of the platforms and Evans looks like he hits his head on the turnbuckle on the way down, I think he lands badly on acid and then he follows it up with the, I don't know if he's trying for like a double four fifty, or I guess a 900 or whatever a splash. And then, um, but he just got over enough for the leg drop. I don't know. All that said, I, I did kind of enjoy this. It was just like a complete wild car crash that had, did have some pretty crazy dives and, you know, watching it now, watching it live. It's like, completely terrifying especially when uh, fast eddie did the the blockbuster um slam off the top rope because it's like you're watching it now you're like well no one you know got badly hurt i would have heard about that it was kind of like the war of the wire barbed wire match where you know watching it live it's like oh my god i really hope everyone comes out of this okay that was the same and you know it was it, it was what it was it's a wild stunt show and it was it was pretty wild so you know i have reservations about it but i did really enjoy watching it back. Matt, I want your opinions on the match, but I also want you to answer maybe the most important question of the night, which is, do you think Jack Evans really got 10 times his pay this, this night? That's what's keeping me up at night. I need to know now. Did Jack <laughs> yeah. Evans actually get 10 times his rate? Yeah, like $250, right? High five. <laughs> High five, guys. I just I just thought of that just now. Um, <laughs> so, um, um, yeah, this match... Um, I mean, you know, the reputation that this match has is that it's just a clusterfuck where lots of people got hurt. Do we know for a fact who literally got hurt in this match? So, like, I know Fast Eddie, that was, like, a gimmick, right? Like, he wasn't really... That that injury that he got taken out for, He was that was a planned spot, yes? Yeah, a- according to that Mike Johnson report yeah. I referenced, yeah. he said nobody in the main event got hurt. But But I feel like... The reputation is later on that like people did get hurt. Yes, so I, I I feel like that didn't that didn't stay the case. But like Acid's ankle was he he was completely selling or like was that a real injury that he had from the Joe match? Like that's another thing I'm that not I'm not sure. totally clear on. Like, um, but I I agree with you. Like I feel like they it was like this match was insane. It was crazy. The entrances took ten minutes. Um, the um, but um. It did feel like, you know, and I feel bad saying, given everything that everyone did, but it did feel like a little bit of a rip that so many guys got eliminated in such short order. You know, like, I mean, I'm not saying that more people should have put themselves in danger for this, but sort of like, that is what they were advertising, yes? Um, yeah. Like, I mean, uh, that's the promise of the rule is the idea of you're now going to be guaranteed. You, you just think in your head, well, there's this many people in this match and if everyone has to be eliminated with a dive. But then I think if you count the dives, because there was one dive in this match, which I think it's like uh, what Dunner Marcos miss a flying elbow drop from the top. Yeah, apart, yeah, Dunn apart does. From that, 
we, we I think that adds up to maybe there's like five or six dives in this match. I don't think that's different than a reg- the last scramble cage we saw before they changed the rules. Right. So if you if you came in watching this expecting to see like oh there's like eleven guys in this match we're gonna see ten dives like. No. No, yeah. I mean, basically, like, with Moff and Whitmer and the Carnage crew, they basically, like, what happened was, early in the match, it was basically like a battle royal, and Gabe was like, there's not really much to call, but then right after that, um, Moff throws Marcos into the cage, and half Nelson suplex, half Nelson suplexes asset into Marcos, into the cage. So there, there is some stuff, but then basically, Moff and Whitmer and the Carnage crew clear the ring, and they just sort of have a brawl. Um, like where they bloody each other up and stuff like that while everyone else is just sort of killing time on the outside, like kicking each other. Um, so, so DeVito is bleeding, Loke is bleeding, you know, they sort of do a more traditional cage match and that's where, um, like Allison Danger is on the outside and Nolte lets out his let, never let women know where you live line. Um, <laughs> um so DeVito is the first one to do a move. He does a moonsault onto Moffat Whitmer, eliminating them. And then... And and I was thinking like, wow, Allison Danger must be pissed because Moff and Whitmer were barely damaged, and like that was her whole point of putting them in the match. She wouldn't want them eliminated so easily. But then, to her, um, you know, lucky her, they attacked the Carnage crew like total sore losers right after, and they hit them with chairs and they fight for a long time. And that's when Alter Boy Luke does his big swanton onto that whole crew, Carnage crew, in fact. Um, so um, so it's entertaining, definitely. Um. But I didn't write much down except for, like, the biggest spots because it's just a lot of, like, lying around and big suplexes until, like, Dunn and Marcos, they they go for a stage dive. But then Fast Eddie goes up and, like, um, you know, st- st- fights with Marcos. So Dunn just does a uh, an elbow drop onto Santiago, but he moves. And actually, that looks like one of the most painful bumps of the whole night is Dunn, yeah. like, missing that, that elbow dropped off the top of the cage. That's when Fast Eddie does the almost the flipping slam, I guess, uh, like onto the Outcast Killers, Dunn, and Alter Boy Luke. And so they're all eliminated. I think Marcos was eliminated also because he was landed on. And then Eddie was eliminated because of his ankle. And so it's just immediately down to Evans versus Acid. So yeah, so that was what, four, four, four moves off the top, right? Total, to, before they yeah. get to this final sequence. And... um so Evans is like, yeah, Evans doesn't like the, this final sequence isn't much, right? There's just not not many big dives. Even here, there's not really there's not really too many dives because, like you said, there's that botched like electric chair reverse Rana thing, and there's a slice bread move, a Yakuza kick, you know, reverse brainbuster by Acid, and he cl- sells it. He can't climb to the top rope, which I liked, and. That's when Evans goes to the top for that please don't die chant. And it's what I thought was really funny is Mark Nolte said this is a train wreck right before Evans hits the most boss Rana of all time. Like that you which which you mentioned. I just thought it was funny timing that he said that before that spot. Because it would have been perfect to say after that spot. Um that's when Evans went up and did the flip dive. And what did he land on? Because it felt to me like he actually landed on Acid's leg when he did that final flip, and Acid really like grabbed the leg like that. Almost, I almost believed he was hurt there. So I guess good job. But um, yeah, it was carnage and it was entertaining, and I still probably think it was the least good of the three scramble cage matches. But it wasn't bad. Um, there was something that that led Gabe to not ever book it again. So, like, that's why I'm like, was I? Somebody must have been hurt somehow, because or else, why would he have never gone back to it? 
Um, so I guess we should talk about, uh, before I get my thoughts, we can, this is a good point to talk about that. Gabe really sold on the website during commentary about this match, about how it's so dangerous and how we're regretting doing it. And we're not even sure if we're ever going to do this again. Like before the match was even happened, he was selling that. And you think, oh, that's just typical Gabe selling stuff. But maybe, maybe there's something to just, he really was worried. Cause th- I mean, there is something about a match where literally you're asking guys to jump off the top of a cage onto other people. Like that's a lot to ask of guys. I mean, obviously Wait, but that like, any, any, any scramble cage match is that though. Yeah. But this, but, but now, I mean, you're mandating it and I don't know. Maybe I don't, I'm not sure. It's just, although I guess there was, there was only one ever other scramble cage match after this period. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's, 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 it's interesting. I you know, you could say the, what's the, like, I don't know. It's just, uh, that's something we just don't know. I, I, I don't know, but uh, maybe we'll, maybe if I do more research, I can figure it out. But as for the match itself, I, uh, I Gabe, it Gabe, as, Gabe, just tell us on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was fun as a spectacle, but as a match, it was, you know, yeah, I agree with you, Matt, that it was probably not as good as the other scramble cages because yeah, the first, Large, there was not nearly as much high flying and dives as you'd expect from a match with this many high flyers, and it's much more of like you were saying a brawl and a cage match for a large portion. Other than those elimination dives, this is really like a brawl in and out of the ring. It's it's more. I think Nolte even contra- like mentions how it's more of a cage match, or people forget that there's a cage here. You know, when it's basically just at first a B.J. Whitmer, Dan Moff, Carnage Crew cage match. And eventually, yeah, you get the big dives, but it is one of those things where at one point I was watching the match where, and there's so many frequent camera cuts because so much is going on, where I it was so many of these small guys brawling who aren't used to brawling, and I felt like this isn't what I want to see these guys do. You know, I didn't come to see, you know, Dunn and Marcos do brawling, crowd brawling. I didn't come here, you know, to see Alter Boy Luke, you know get rammed into a barricade barricade or whatever, you know, I want to see these guys fly. And other than the big dives, which th- this match does completely deliver on. Yeah. You don't get much of that. Uh, the, the last couple minutes with, uh, acid and Evans, it wasn't much, but the few things they did do like were brutal. And in that car crash way, that makes you feel guilty, but it is a crazy spectacle. Like, that inverted brain buster Jack Evans takes from Trent Acid, he lands, I think, looks like right on his head or chin and just looks sickening. And, you know, that botched Rana, all of that is just, I mean, it's crazy in that kind of I feel guilty, but I can't take my eyes off of it way, which I thought more of the match itself would be that way. But instead, it's more like here's a here's a crazy or well, not even that crazy, but here's a brawl. You know, the Carnage crew bleed early. And then here's the few big dives that you're hoping to see. Um, but still, you know, it, it delivered on the big dives. Uh, also Jack Evans bandage comes off. So his arm is, you know, his cut arm is open again. It was interesting to see fast Eddie back. Matt, maybe the biggest thing, I don't think they mentioned that he was legally blind. This might be the first match he's ever also, did you notice this happened to fast Eddie and multiple guys that when, since every corner of the cage has a platform, um, fast Eddie, walks in, 
to the cage and he cl- tries to climb the turnbuckle and like bonks his head or almost bonks his head on the platform because he doesn't realize it's there and then the crowd laughs. And I think more than one guy had that problem where they forgot that there's a platform in every corner so you can't climb the turnbuckles to pose on them. Yeah, Loke made a big show of it during his entrance. I couldn't tell if he was like being serious or if he was just fooling around. Yeah, so... um so after the match, Trent and Jack sell as the ref and st- refs and staff rush in to check on the guys. Commentary sells how serious this is, and they sign off. Although in a funny moment, Gabe, like he does it like, oh, we, we should go. And then he remembers he wants to plug R- um, ROHwrestling.com one more time. So he plugs the website, and then he plugs Future Jates, and then he says something. It's hard to tell because the crowd volume is too loud at this point, but he says something like, oh, I feel kind of shitty for like, plugging stuff during this. He's trying to simultaneously sell how serious this is while also plugging things, and he's kind of realizing as he's doing it how weird that is. Um, Then we see a lot... They spend a lot of time lingering over Evans and Acid selling in the ring and being attended to. Jack's bloody arm gets re-bandaged in the ring. We see the whole process. And yeah, they're really trying to sell just how violent this match is. And then we cut to backstage. Lacey is telling Izzy... He did great tonight. She says he should be a champion again and wonders why he's hanging out with those other loser with those losers in Special K. Becky Bayless hears this and gets into an argument with Lacey, and soon the rest of Special K joins in. Uh, Lacey and Izzy leave, and then Cheech and Clyde decide to join them. Dixie and Angel just stay with Becky. So the same battle lines are being drawn that we saw in the in-ring segment earlier. We got our sides clearly divvied up here. And then finally, the last segment of the show, we cut to John Walters in the building after the show, pure title slung over his shoulder. We see the ring crew is tearing down the ring in the background behind him. Walters says it's never felt so satisfying to leave a building because tonight he's doing it as champ. He promises to make this title just as prestigious as the world title, which, uh, good luck with that, John. Uh, Walter says that he understands that he gets that as a stipulation for uh, glory by honor, he gets to choose Samoa Joe's opponent for the next show. And because Joe got in Doug Williams business tonight, he's picking Doug to face him for the ring of honor world title. Walter says Joe can pick anyone for his opponent. It's not going to stop John Walters. And he says tonight is just the beginning to his promising career. Unfortunately, I think this would be one of the highlights of his ring of honor run probably. And that ends the show. So, that was Scramble Cage Mealy. Uh, Joe, since you're the guest and you were there live, I think we should throw it to you first. What did you think of the show? And does it has it aged any different when you look back at your notes and stuff? Like, is it better or the same as you remember? Or I thought this was kind of a, from a live experience. It was one of the lesser Ring of Honor shows I had uh, I had gone to, and that's kind of how I feel now. There's nothing great about it. There's a title change and. Scramble Cage, you know, is kind of sort of memorable in, in its own way, but there's really nothing bad on the show either. There's nothing where it's like, oh, I got to skip that. Everything kind of had at least some merit, but nothing was go out of the way to see excellent. So, you know, if you're a completist, I don't think you'll probably have a decent time with the show. There are certainly much better and more meaningful Ring of Honor shows to check out if you're, you know, buying DVDs or whatnot, but. You know, I had a pretty good time watching this one. It's still still a pretty good show. This was a not unenjoyable watch. And again, I even the match I said I was really disappointed by Doug Williams, John Walters, which I'm the low vote on here. I would still say it's like slightly above average. So nothing on this show was bad at, at all. But yeah, I agree with you in the sense it's it 
it's one of the lesser shows of the year I think we've seen so far. There's nothing essential to see from either a wrestling standpoint or even, I would say, a, a historical standpoint. Like, there's nothing here where I go, wow, that's like a major moment in company history. Uh, but again, I, I don't necessarily blame them because not every show can be on all cylinders. And as we've talked about, they've had they had to make a lot of changes to this card. So this was, you know, they still salvaged a watchable show from losing low key, losing the Briscoes, you know, losing Brian Danielson. That's that's a hell of a lot of top talent to lose for a show. And they still came up with something that was, you know, not a bad watch. But I would say one of the lesser shows of the year. Matt, do you agree as someone that's watched all these shows with me? Would you say this is probably one of the lesser shows we've seen so far in 2004? I would say it's one of the lesser shows of their recent run. Like their least, their worst show of like since maybe like May or June. Um, or yeah, April, April okay. I would say. It's a hot streak. Yeah, yeah. But I would say it's better than some of the shows from like January, February, um, just because the sh- like the booking is, is tight and like people are in, in, in like good positions. Um, but so it's definitely a lesser show, but I still think it shows that ROH is you know doing pretty well right now because it's still like pretty decent. It has some good wrestling on it. It has some good booking on it. It has some strange booking on it. It has some weird commentary. It has an insane main event that's just like a strange historical artifact kind of. So for that, it's like, as a curiosity, it's worth watching. It's definitely not bad. Like it's it's definitely not a bad show. I'd say. There's a lot of other shows, like you guys both said, worth watching before you watch this one. But it's it, – I would say it's better than I expected by a very small margin. <laughs> and what you said made me think like a good way to frame it I think is like if this is what Ring of Honor looked like when – like at its worst during this period when things went wrong in, the, in like who they could book and stuff, like you're doing pretty good at, as a company if this is like you – when things go wrong at your worst. Right. Like this is a, this is a pretty nice floor to have. Exactly. Um, so that brings us to the end of the show. Now it's time for some plugs. So, as always, you can follow us on Twitter at Trevor Dame on Twitter at Mayor MGF. Um, we have through the years at gmail.com. T H R O H for through. If you want to email us, we have a for we have a thread on the Pro Wrestling Only forum for if you want to talk about the show. And uh, I have a Patreon that's completely unrelated to this. That's stupid. It's $5. It's www.patreon.com slash Mecca Mecca, just so right, M-E-C-C-A, twice in a row. Um, Joe, you have a lot of podcasts. You you have a million things going on at all times. What would you like to plug today? The floor is yours, my friend. Sure, we will go with the five-star match game, the Pro Wrestling Quiz Show, as previously mentioned. And if you like me, along with uh, Matt and Trevor... Matt and Trevor were contestants on the last show we did about WrestleMania trivia, along with uh, Mr. Justin Shapiro, which uh, was a ton of fun. got a lot of great praise on that. You should check that out. And also, if you like continuity, uh, as mentioned, uh, Trevor mentioned the uh, the Who's Next podcast and Stephen Graham reaching out to see if uh, I would be a, a guest or available or whatnot. I reached out to him. I was on that show. And uh, those episodes will be dropping in about a week after ah. this show drops. So you can excellent, uh, exciting. You can hear me pontificate on Goldberg and uh, and uh, some guys and Mongo McMichael and, uh, and weirdly Greg Valentine. So <laughs> coming up, they're all short. They're all very easy, digestible. They're a lot of fun. So check yeah. those out. I, I'm glad you had a good time. I had a good time doing that too. And 
you haven't had a, a pod. You don't have a wrestling podcast until Joe Gagne has been a guest on. I think that's like that's right. The legally mandated thing. So, um, yeah. That next time on the show, me and Matt will be back, and we will be covering Glory by Honor three, which has I think Aries versus CM Punk for the first time, at least in Ring of Honor. It has Alex Shelley versus Brian Danielson, which sounds really intriguing on paper. Doug Williams versus Samoa Joe, and of course, it's Mick Foley's debut in Ring of Honors. So a lot of stuff going on on that show. It'll be fun to check back in on that because I honestly don't remember much on that show except it's the show with Mick Foley on it. Um, until next time, have a good time. Have a great time. Manage your intakes of carbs.